Chris Johnston, yes, back <laughs> on the show. The official fourth member. Finally, the family is back together in time for Canadian Thanksgiving. It's so wonderful to have a full show. We don't we don't have a full show most of the time because Chris isn't here. He's out doing a real job. That's but right. when he is, we have our full cast together. The official fourth member of the show, Chris Johnston. Welcome back, Chris. How are you? How is everything? Are you dead yet? <laughs> This is the weirdest year, guys. The weirdest effing year for everybody, no matter where you are in the universe. So that includes this uh, aging hockey writer as well. Well, we're, we're going to have bubble questions for you uh, later on in the mm. show because I, I want to know everything about Toronto and Edmonton and, and, and some of the stories and that sort of thing. But obviously, we got to get to right away some uh, major happenings in the NHL. Obviously, just a few minutes ago, as of the recording of this show, Tyler Toffoli signs for four years at $4.25 million per season in Montreal, which, you know, they have the cap space. Uh, they have the ability to go out and sign guys, and they haven't been using it. And it seems like now that they are, they're actually weaponizing their own space. Uh, what do you think of a deal like that? And obviously, the Canucks, is a, they're their own story. So we're going to leave the Canucks out of this for now because we're coming back to them. Tyler Toffoli, Montreal, how do you like the fit? How do you like the deal? Well, I think it's a home run for the Habs, quite honestly. I mean, the, the, the salary is entirely paid as salary, no signing bonuses. There's no trade restrictions in the contract. And let's face it, this sums up for me for agency 2020. I mean, this kind of player was getting a six-year deal, probably $6 million or above in a normal market. Really? I, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's, he's mid-career. He's not an old guy yet. You know, look at – I don't have his stats in front of me, but I know he got traded to Vancouver. He was a point-of-game guy there. He was. Uh, he's, he's won Stanley Cups. He's got the pedigree. I, I just think in a normal market, this is, you know, your Andrew Ladd or your Louis Erickson, and maybe I should make some more favorable comparisons. But, you know, guys that have hit pretty big home runs in free agency in years gone by, and, and the, the money just wasn't there for them. And so for Montreal, I think this is a huge value play. Uh, only four years is, is a great term. The fact they can trade them at any point. And, you know, let's, let's face it, in the short term, he makes your team better. Uh, as does Josh Anderson, even though that was a bit more of an abomination of a contract. So, you know, I think that the Habs are the Habs are getting good, and and the Atlantic's going to be stronger. Interesting to hear you say that about Josh Anderson. Uh, you know, it. it I, I texted uh, full disclosure, Steve. I texted Chris right after uh, that contract, and I said, "Wow." And Chris's words were, and it's very Chris Johnson of him. That's a big swing. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, like, Chris, they're they're like, aiming for the fifth deck at the Rogers Center, and. <laughs> it, it might Why be a foul ball. Much? I mean, if, if, if Toffoli's available, I know Josh Anderson is big and scary when he's not hurt, and most of the time he hasn't been, but obviously had a pretty severe injury. To give up Max Domi, who admittedly was not getting along with Claude Julian, uh, to get Josh Anderson and then sign him to that kind of a deal, how does that even come about, and how does that make sense for them? Seven years? Well, essentially, the, the, the word from Anderson's camp after that trade happened was they do a one-year deal, which would have walked them straight to unrestricted free agency, or they do a seven-year deal, which is the maximum term he could sign with Montreal. And, and so I think Montreal surveyed what, what they had and, and decided that they were going to make a bet on Josh Anderson. And, and you know, look at if he has a 25-goal first season here, which I don't think is out of the question, it's just a huge unknown, or something on that pace, depending on how many games we play this, this coming season. I mean, I, I don't think we'll be looking at this as – a terrible contract. It's just that, you know, someone coming off, you know, a significant shoulder injury 
who had four points and one goal last year. I mean, you don't have to give them this term, but um, you know, it's, it's a huge bet. It could be David Clarkson all over again. I hope for Josh Anderson's case, that's not the case because it will mean he's not healthy and his career doesn't go in, a, in an upward trajectory, but um, you know, it's, it's a huge gamble for Montreal. I, I, I sort of get where they're coming from. I just don't know that I would have made the same gamble in their, in their position. Now, you know, we talk about it being a huge gamble for Montreal, which means it's awesome for Josh Anderson. And the, the first thing I thought when I saw this trade and then the extension for both players is Darren Ferris is going to be a GM in the NHL one day. I think it, because I, I couldn't help but notice it was a one for one trade, two of his clients, one of them gets a deal that takes him to unrestricted free agency and the other gets seven years um, at a, at a very big number. Do, do you think, do you think that guy might be an executive in the league one day if he can handle the pay cut? I, I've never asked him, honestly, I don't know what his ambitions are, but you know, it's, it's possible. I mean, look, he, he operates in a way that, that maybe some agents don't, but I think if you look across the last bit of time, if we just look at it in the vacuum of, is he doing the job for his clients? I think most oftentimes you have to say, yes, he's maximizing the, the contracts they get. Let's remember NHL players have really short earning windows relative to other people in other industries. And so, you know, every year that you can get someone that the kind of security Josh Anderson just got, I mean, that's life-changing money for him and his family. And, and, you know, coming off an injury again, we, we hope he's healthy and, and can play many more seasons, even beyond the seven on his deal. But if that doesn't happen, he's pretty well insured here because of this contract. Um, we'll get to another Darren Ferris client in Taylor Hall uh, coming up on the show. But I think, uh, you know, before we get to anything, obviously we've got uh, our Kellogg's uh, selfie thing. Not yet, not yet. We do need to talk Petrangelo first, but I'm going, Steve, I'm taking the reins away from you and I'm giving it to CJ and he's going to give us his favorite Sally in a, in a moment. I'm sorry. I know, I know your name's on the show, but it's going to be Chris Johnson doing it. Um, before that though, where do we stand with uh, Steve's off the air? <laughs> no, I'm back. Where do we stand with, uh, there's Alex no Petrangelo? way he's walking out on us. Not no, in this show. no, no, this is no too chance. good. Um, Alex Petrangelo. I mean, this is a guy that, was talked about and talked about and talked about. And what you're seeing now is you've got an NHL that's sort of in a, you know, like a lot of industries right now in a bit of a, uh, a financial crunch, a uh, lot of uncertainty, don't even know when we're getting back. And Alex Petrangelo, who is a, you know, a massive free agent and sort of still a surprise that he's going to leave St. Louis um, has not signed anywhere yet. And the cap space in, on most teams without an internal budget is pretty much filled. There is one team that he's been linked to that he flew to that he did a tour with, um, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights. Is that the only suitor left for Alex Petrangelo? I wouldn't say it's the only suitor left, but it's the one, obviously, that's, you know, it's it's getting chosen at the rose ceremony here. It's just, it, it, it's really about, you know, Vegas has to clear money out before they can sign this contract. Yes, legally, you can go 10% over the salary cap in the offseason, so they could carry up to 89.66, I believe, million on on their cap but I think that's far too risky given the current environment where you have the Tampa Bay Lightning trying to trade players the New York Islanders trying to trade players uh, many teams to a lesser degree trying to shed some salary and so I think that they need certainty they need to move a Nate Schmidt they need to move Marc-Andre Fleury they might need to move both of them and someone else but they have to clear out that cap room I think before the ink dries on a contract so you know, I expect that that's the way this is going to all conclude, that you'll see a trade or two from Vegas where they're shaving money like the Paul Sasney deal. And then you'll see the Petrangelo contract signed. But 
if that can happen, I do think there are other teams out there that would step into this. I wonder about Philadelphia, which is sort of quietly lingering with some cap space and, and, you know, has, has lost some, some, you know, blue liners uh, this off season Niskanen. and Matt Niskanen's surprising retirement, um, you know, and that kind of thing. I, I'm not saying that they're going to come in and steal him from Vegas, but I do think that there's other places he could elect to go. And, and the truth is this must be a little bit uncomfortable for Alex Petrangelo because, you know, while he's obviously the, the cream of the crop in this free agent year, it's just such a weird year. No one, no one was saying Taylor Hall was going to sign in Buffalo for one year, 8 million, probably including Taylor Hall until yesterday. And, and so, you know, there, there could be a set of scenarios where chaos uh, goes on and, and maybe Petrangelo isn't signing the long-term deal he would, was hoping to with this free agency. And so this one still has a bit of a stay tuned on it. And um, just what, what I know of Alex Petrangelo, I, I don't know how much he – he likes the the spotlight and, and all that, just being zeroed in on him, at least when it comes to off-ice stuff. I, I posted a meme last night. Why is it whenever there is confusing hockey nonsense, the Florida Panthers are at the center of it? I, I can't feel I, I can't help but feel like they're the ones holding this all up. There was supposedly a Nate Schmidt deal in place. He was gonna go there. Mackenzie Weger's name has been floated for all week. What's going on there? I wish I could tell you. I mean, they're they're definitely trying to trade Mackenzie Weger. You know, I don't think that those rumors they're not they're not being made up. And you know, there was a scenario where he could have been a Maple Leaf. I, I don't know if that's still on the table with what Toronto's done here in the first few days of free agency. If that's still a consideration for them, but but they there was definitely some conversations going on there. Uh, and I'm not really clear what Florida's going to do. I mean, they're a bit of a wild card because they have a new general manager, and I think when when that happens, and obviously there's a few new GMs around the league right now, but those guys aren't aren't married or they haven't made promises to the players on the current roster. They, they, they have a little bit more freedom, I think, to come in and I won't say act recklessly, but, but, you know, mess things up and try to put their own stamp on it and acquire maybe some players they have relationships with, you know, which we've already seen Florida do with, with Wenberg and, and the new Devara trade, you know, both guys at Bill Zito, who was the, the assistant GM in Columbus for years, you know, has it passed with. And so, you know, I think Florida is still going to make some moves, and, and I would expect Uyghur will be one of them. I mean, he filed for arbitration, so the arbitration cases haven't been scheduled yet, but they start as soon as October 20th. Uh, I'm, su- I'm assuming it's, it's October 12th today, so that's only a little bit more than a week. There's going to be arbitration cases, so I would think that they're going to be motivated to deal in before that arbitration case comes around. And so, yeah, the Panthers are the Panthers are in the middle of everything. It doesn't sound like they're getting Nate Schmidt right now, so I, I don't know where Nate's going to end up. I know Winnipeg's kind of been linked to another trade like that with Vegas as well. And, you know, this is a tough time for Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee of the Golden Knights because no one is extending them all of branches. I mean, any, any trade that they make here is not probably going to look that favorable, except that it's going to be in the context of clearing room to sign the number one free agent on the market. Well, and that's what I want to ask you next because i think there was a there was a brian burke did a hit with sportsnet central jesse uh, fuchs um i think it was sunday morning and it was very interesting because brian dropped a little tidbit at the end and i've just seen frank saravalli tweet something similar and i wanted to ask your opinion on this when you get to so, so was brian burke right when he said players that sign in vegas are going to get fed up and not going to go because vegas keeps giving up on them a couple years into their contract and let me read frank saravalli of tsn's uh, uh, tweet along the same lines. Fair to say the core of Vegas is unnerved as the Petrangelo watch hits day four. They saw Paul Stastny shipped out. They've heard their names in play. Flurry, Schmidt, Smith, Pacioretty, Martinez, and Marcia. So 
as they now wait for the other shoe to drop. Is it true that Vegas is developing a reputation with players around the league as we'll sign you long-term and then we're going to ship you out in a couple of years when someone sexier comes along? Maybe a little bit, but you know, this is still a business, you know, and when, when there was William Nylander rumors earlier this, this off season, I reached out to someone close to William and said, you know, was there a promise made by the Leafs that he won't be traded? And, and the response came back something along the lines of promises aren't worth anything in, in professional sports, you know, and, and, and it wasn't a bitter thing. It was basically saying like, William understands that you sign a contract, you get the money, but you, you're, you're property of that team and they can sort of do whatever they want with you. And so, you know, I, I believe the part of Frank's tweet that's right is that those core players are unnerved. They're unnerved because no one wants to leave Vegas. It's, it's a top five, top three destination in the NHL right now. I mean, the, the, the suburb of Summerlin where all the players live is a great place to live. It's not that expensive relative to some cities where players play in the league. They got a great practice facility that was built brand new. They have an owner that looks after their players that building when you're allowed to have people in it where they play T-Mobile arena is, is rocking. I mean, this, and the team has been great. I mean, they've won a ton of games since entered the league and legitimately are Stanley cup threat. So, you know, yes, they have to act a little bit callously at times or, or, you know, cutthroat, but I mean, that's what it takes to win. I mean, look what the Leafs are doing too. I mean, you think Kyle Dubas has enjoyed trading away Casper Kapanen, Andreas Janssen guys that, that he had since he was with the Marlies as their GM. I mean, Unfortunately, personal relationships and business relationships in, in pro sports, they're, they're difficult to maintain because the, quite often your emotions with both, you know, end up crossing. So I, I guess Vegas may have a bit of a reputation here, but I don't blame them one bit. They're trying to win a Stanley Cup and, you know, it's too bad for the players, but also those guys get guaranteed contracts. So if Nate Schmidt gets traded away, you know, they gave him a six-year deal, I think around $36 million. I mean, that's that, that's that's his security. So there's two ways of looking at it. They gave him the kind of security he never had prior in his career. And, and I'm sure he wouldn't want to be traded because he loves living there. He loves playing for that team. But, you know, this is this is the price, unfortunately, of trying to win in a cap league. I think it just it's it's brutal on, on the people in the sport. One guy who makes a lot of money on that team and is rumored to be heading out is Marc-Andre Fleury. There was some sort of rumored three way deal and some way absorbing the cap is that dead in the water now is that still on the table no that's still in play and and i think it's really the only way a, a flurry trade makes sense for vegas is that they trade all of mark andre flurry to a middle team that middle team you know with a pick you know with a sweetener and that middle team flips them and retains half of his seven million dollar salary and cap hit and the the team that ultimately wants to play with mark andre flurry then gets him at three and a half million dollars i think that's the only way this works i mean maybe Maybe there's a scenario where Vegas is the one keeping the three and a half million, but I, I'm just not sure that opens up enough cap space for them. Cause remember, they're going to need to pay another goaltender to, to platoon or be the backup to Robin Leonard. And so you're not really saving a ton. If you end up paying someone one and a half million and you're retaining three and a half, it, it doesn't accomplish what I think they need to get done here. Sorry for all the math on a Sunday or, no. or, or holiday Monday, Monday, actually. Sorry. I don't even know what day it is, but, uh, but you know, I, I think that's very much on the table. And the one place I'm looking for Flurry is, is, you know, there's interest from Pittsburgh to bring him back. And Pittsburgh has some of its own cap challenges. Um, but I, I do think that their team, if this sort of middle scenario can work, um, you know, where maybe they get him. Maybe there's a fourth team. I mean, that would be kind of crazy. I don't think we've wow. ever seen that. But it could happen where he gets traded twice in the middle and teams retain salary to make the cap hit ultimately even lower for Pittsburgh. But you know, that's, and, that's and something that's that, scenario. Pittsburgh's giving up some 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 pretty significant picks or something, right, to the team that takes the second contract? 
I would think, and, and obviously Vegas is too. And and the issue that I've heard is is the teams that Vegas has talked to in the middle, they want a first round draft pick for retaining half of Flurry's salary. And and you know, that's a lot. You know, it, it's over two seasons. And look, Vegas is in a tough spot. So, you know, of course, teams are going to squeeze them on that. I'm not saying that will ultimately be the price it takes to, to do it. But I think the reason it hasn't happened is because those middle teams are playing, you know, hardball with with the Golden Knights. I, I think those middle teams are perfectly in their right. I mean, it's over two good. seasons, like you said. And uh, Patrick Marlowe cost a first and he was only for one. Here's my ultimate chaos scenario. Is there a chance there is a Murray flurry reuniting in Ottawa. Wow. <laughs> right. Oh man. Wouldn't that be something. I know, especially because they were both involved in beating Ottawa on the 2017 Eastern conference final. Yes. Remember, Murray oh came God. in for flurry. Uh, well, let's remember he's got no trade protection and he's got a number of teams that he won't go to. And basically every player in the league that has that has, all the Canadian teams on their list, but they certainly would have Ottawa on their list. I would think with where Ottawa's at and some of it's tax related. It doesn't mean they wouldn't ever go to those places. I actually heard interestingly enough, Ben Sherratt is one of the few players in the league that has that kind of no trade protection that, that has basically that doesn't have the Canadian teams on it, but it's pretty much standard operating procedure. I think part of it, again, you pay higher taxes to live here and not everyone wants to play in the Canadian market and, deal with podcasts like this one that scrutinize every move that the team makes, you know, that, that, that you don't always have in every other city. And, and it's not just this podcast. Of course, it's a lot of other noise too. So anyway, yeah, that's a long, chance. long way of saying, I don't know if Flurry would want to play in Ottawa. Cause I think he really wants to play somewhere where he's the unquestioned starter or Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has such great sentimental ties for him and his family. It's a great place to live. And I think he'd be fine being the number two there. Are, on that point, and I, 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 I'm going to relate this to Tyson Berry later on. Are they listening to sports radio, and are they listening to podcasts like this? Not necessarily this one, but I've always players. found the players don't listen, but their family or their friends do. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's the odd player that listens too, but I don't. I think most of them hear it sort of through a third party. They don't always hear exactly what you wrote or said. Like they hear a variation of it, but usually they hear the broken telephone worst possible, you know, interpretation of what you might've said about them or written about them. Um, but certainly, you know, look at players, families, they're, they're paying attention. They, they, they're Googling their names. They're going on Twitter and seeing what's out there. I mean, I, I think that's human nature and I don't blame anyone for doing that. I think Steve's actually had a few awkward run-ins with family members and stuff of teams and players and coaches and that sort of thing who, you know, Steve will, he'll be upset with what the player or coach will do. And then they'll come up and go, Hey, I'm so-and-so's daughter. or I'm, I'm so-and-so's parent and they'll want to take a picture with them. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say here, but I've actually had players and executives reach out to me saying like, why did Steve say this X, Y, or Z? <laughs> no way. Wow. That has happened more than once. Oh, that's funny. But I don't. I don't really want to get into which players and which situations because no. no, it's probably not for the best. Listen, we, I don't. We know that there's, I don't we're aware that there's an OHL team that really doesn't like us. Like really doesn't like. Well, us. Which team? Uh, I won't be talking about that one. But there's an a uh, there's London. A team. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Spitz had you blocked, man. So it could be them too, right? No, the Spitz like me. It's their social person was a douche. But anyway, oh, okay. We went, what, what did you do to London? Uh, oh, I mean, who's their GM there, Chris? 
Well, I'll tell you, their assistant GM is a guy by the name of Rob Simpson who grew up in the fine town of Coburg, Ontario. Oh, no kidding. And I used to play minor hockey with him a little bit. He was a really good hockey player. He was a better player than me, which is why he's working for a team and I'm just covering the league from afar. The first question was going to be, is he a plug? I just No, he was really good. You reminded me of all these run-ins. The most awkward one recently, they're usually very positive. But, um, uh, Chris, I was drunk at a playoff game. Uh, I think this was one of the this was one of the ones against um, I think it was Washington and this sweet lady walks up to me and she's like are you Dangle and I go yes she goes I'm Ann Brown I'm Connor's mom and I had to really try hard to not be drunk (laughs) for a moment wasn't there a particular coach that said uh, coaches players or kids that said hi uh do you want me to name it oh yeah uh uh yeah uh, that was that was Babs yeah mike babcock's kids yeah, went and said hi to steve which was really <laughs> I, I took uh yeah that's a tough one that's a tough given how, yeah given how tough you yeah. were on him but who's it's not the, who's the former who was the former backup goalie for the rangers valaket what was valaket steve valaket so i said something so it, it was like in my first or second year of making videos so we're talking like 2007 2008 uh there did was you chirp sh- steve valaket no, that was the weird. Why did you go thing? after Steve Valakat, man? I didn't. It was it was a shootout, and I want to say Jason Blake like missed. The, uh, he got stopped by Valakat, but like he lost the puck kind of. And I was like, oh, he's kind of a lucky save or whatever. And this guy's cousin just comes in and starts carving me, and is like, you don't know anything, and you're a friggin' idiot. And about a month later, that person got an internship at Sportsnet 590, where I was interning. Oh man. They weren't there for very long, but like they sent me a message like, oh, haha, I got this internship. Isn't that funny? Trying <laughs> 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 to totally backtrack all the, all the trash uh, talk they were sending me. Yeah. It's, the, it's not the same thing quite, but there was a night after early in this, this season that never ended in hockey, like last October, I was coming home from a Leaf game, but I had a few drinks with uh, some friends after the game. And then I got out of a cab in front of my building and someone's like, CJ. I didn't know who it was. And I go talk to him and it's Darcy Tucker's son. And he's like, I'm a big fan. And I was like, oh my God, like the world is turning on its head. Like I remember when I was in high school and watching the Leafs with Darcy Tucker on it. Now his son's saying he's a fan of mine. So that was kind of a cool moment for me, but um, not along the same thing. Cause I didn't chirp him or there was no issues with that. No, no. Uh, D- Darcy is a, is a gem. Uh, I had a, a moment at the, I told, I know I told Jesse this story, Steve, did I tell you this when I was hosting the NHL New Year's Eve party? No. So there was a there was an NHL New Year's Eve party, and Chris, you might have been there, where um, like everybody was there, and it was uh it was the, the next city? day, Toronto. Uh, the next day was the big uh, was the Detroit Toronto game where Austin Matthews won it in overtime outdoors. Centennial Classic, yeah. Yep. Yes. So I was hosting that night, and and like you know building up for Brian Adams, and I came up on stage and whatever. And um, anyway, Darcy Tucker approached me, and I'd never met him before. And he said, hey, I'm Darcy. And I said, I know, I'm Adam. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, I know. And he's like, I want you to meet my wife. She watches you all the time on breakfast television. So I was like, okay, <laughs> sure, Mr. Tucker, whatever you want. It's and amazing. We, it's, he's amazing. Well, yeah, the thing is, we, we went down, and I think later, was it later that year, guys, to uh, was that the 2017 or the 2018? I think it was the 2017 year. We went no, with 18, Air Canada 18, down to... Was, yeah. 
the trip. Yeah, we went down to uh, Chris. We went Boston. down to Boston to see. I remember the Leafs lost that game badly, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. Two or so. Oh, we just got killed and t- like, and we've told this many times. But on the bus afterwards, with all the fans and Ally Afraidy's there and a few other Leaf guys and. Darcy, the, the steam was coming out of his ears, and he's like, I just want to walk in that dressing room and tell them what kind of an opportunity that they're squandering here. You only get so many shots at this. How can you show up like that? Like, and he was, you just saw the fire, and you're like, that is I just why you grab him. Yeah. Like, you just, that's why he made it because he's so competitive that oh, even his so- eyes, man. His eyes tell the whole story. No eyelids, none. Oh, God. I love it. It was, you him. just get. You get amped on that. It was Do you remember when he would go down like the senator's bench and just like stare at everyone and be like, I dare anyone to do anything. Yeah, and, the, and at some Good. point just going into the bench, deciding. That's right. Forward of waiting. Oh, and and you know what? He's not that big a man. Like he's oh. like he played fearless for the size he was. Anyway, good sure memories. Did. Shout out Darcy Tucker. Fun. Yeah. yeah, no, no kidding. What a beauty. We've been trying to book him on this show for years and he's just, he's elusive, but uh, we'll, we'll get him one of these days. Now let's get into the Kellogg's. It would be Sally of the week, but we're going to go back into the past because there is no Sally's this week. Uh, and we're going to ask you, Chris Johnson, um, you know, it's a, it's an honor to be on this segment with you. You've seen so much hockey. And what we do with this segment is we want hashtag to- old. The whole hashtag old. <laughs> you're not that much older than us, man. If you're old, so are we. Um, but the- I got some bad news for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, shut up, shut up. <laughs> um, what we want to know is uh, the best celebration you've ever seen. Like, you've seen a lot of goal celebrations. The best one, your favorite one, the one that sticks out the most in your mind. Oh, man. For am I allowed to pick two? Yes, yes. For, for, for pure emotion, I'm going with Crosby in Vancouver 2010. Just, oh. just like, just wanted to get everything off as quickly as possible. And like the whole country just like exploding. So for pure emotion, I love that one. But for creativity, I got to go with the Austin Matthews goal signal. That was like, that was one of the coolest things I ever saw. Honestly, it was hilarious. I think it was a game against Colorado, right? It was yep. like, a January game, you know, what I mean is a game not against a rival. The stakes weren't that high. And he was so pissed that they had taken back a goal from him earlier in the game that he scores one and he's like confirming the call. And I was just like, that was badass. And it was like a week, it was like a week before the, the All-Star game. Like I just remember going to the All-Star game and everybody was talking about it still. Jack Eichel um, did it. Yes, did exactly. Yeah, it was the oh, All-Star game awesome. in Tampa. And I just remember it being the buzz of the league. And I kind of, lo- I love the young guys, honestly, this will go against my old guy thing, but I love the young guys coming in and doing stuff that you're not supposed to do, that it's kind of breaking their unwritten rules. Like, I love that stuff. I don't care if these guys ever wear a suit to an NHL game again. I, I don't care what, like, I want to see more crazy celebrations. I mean, we got to embrace the fun of the sport. And I, I, I that one for Matthews just to, I just felt like what a cool moment for one of the stars of the league, like the young stars of the league. And, and, Actually, the one he went back and forth in Chicago with Kane and all this stuff was oh, pretty cool too. But I mean, that was fun. Anyway, I'm sure that that the old hockey men are rolling around angry about all that stuff. But I I love it, and I would encourage any young NHLer out there. Let's keep making the game fun. That is your Kellogg's Frosted Flake Selly of the Cellar. We're go- we're going back into the cellar and pulling stuff out. It would Celebrate be Selly of the Week with Frosted Flakes. Thank That's you, right, Tony. Tony. That's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you did mention Darren Ferris earlier in the show, and I think kind of the bomb that went off yesterday, an absolute shocker. Taylor Hall 
to the Buffalo Sabres. One year for a hockey player, a star hockey player. One-year contract, $8 million. The money is about what we expected. But how does Taylor Hall decide Buffalo's the destination? Well, I think the easy answer is that the market wasn't as strong for him as it probably certainly would be in a normal year, but even maybe than he expected. And, you know, I actually don't hate this move for Taylor Hall. I think it's like, was it Steve Cohen at 3D chess? I, I think it is like 3D yeah. chess for him. I mean, in, it's making the best of an, an imperfect situation. I mean, the, the Colorado Avalanche would have fulfilled his need to play for a winner, but they weren't going to pay him anywhere near $8 million to do it. You know, a lot of the other teams that were interested, I think, offered some intriguing options. I think he got closest with Nashville uh, before signing in Buffalo uh, in terms of actually maybe having a deal there. And for whatever reason, that fell apart. But I think they were talking about something a little bit longer than a one-year deal. But, you know, once once they got through that, I think it was really only one-year deals, essentially. And he he chose one that, that pays him at market rate that reunites him with a coach he loves and a coach that doesn't mind some offense, which obviously is how Taylor is going to keep his value up and allows him to play with one of the best young centers in the NHL. And and if you look at Taylor's career, he hasn't really had an elite point producing centerman too often. He really hasn't. I mean, I like Nico Heischer and and obviously they had a great season when he won the Hart trophy in in New Jersey, but you know, he hasn't had anyone like Eichel ever to play with. And so I think that he could have a monster year in Buffalo and be in a great spot. You know, I think he's going to go back to Edmonton one day. Honestly, I, I, I wow. think that that's, I really think he'd like, like in a perfect world, he probably would have liked, been liked to go to Edmonton now, but the, the Oilers just don't have the cap space. They had no ability to do that kind of move. And, you know, that's, it's, I'm not saying that a deal's cooked up or anything, it, but I just think in his mind, he wants to play with star players and, and, you know, obviously McDavid would fill that. And certainly Eichel fills that for him now in Buffalo. Uh, the, the only real way I see he loses this situation is if he has a bad season and the Sabres went, uh, uh, miss the playoffs by like one to five points or something like that. He'll either be amazing with them and help them be good and he can re-sign there if he wants, or he can re-sign somewhere else in free agency, or he can go somewhere at the deadline because people are going to want him because not only is he Taylor Hall, but now he costs less money because they didn't have him all year, which I'm sure will make owners around the league really happy. Uh, It's probably not his first choice to do a one-year sort of show me with the Sabres, but I I really don't see a situation where he loses here. No, except that there's a physical gamble. I mean, every athlete, you know, I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. I just watched Dak Prescott, you know, carted off the field yesterday. Unfortunately, it was really sad moment just on a human level, but you know, I, I do think that there's always physical risk for these guys. And I think that tends to be why you don't see NHL players play on one-year deals. I mean, if you look at the NBA, right, LeBron James basically has played on short-term deals because it maximizes leverage. It ensured that if the cap went up, he earned more money in those years. But, you know, and I'm not saying NBA players don't risk serious injury, but, you know, I think hockey in general, just weird things can happen. You can be through no fault of your own, could have a career-ending injury. And so, you know, I, I give credit even to like guys like Petrangelo that played out the final year of their deal, that didn't just sign something to have that security. And in Taylor's case, it reminds me a little bit of Marion Hosa, not, not the same circumstances. Obviously, Marion signed on a one-year deal in Detroit to try to win a cup. Um, whereas, you know, I, I don't think truly Taylor Hall thinks he's going to win a cup in Buffalo, although I shouldn't put those words in his mouth, maybe. Um, but, you know, he's still betting on himself here to have a strong year and, and to be in a better position maybe next year to, to hit the home run he would like to. Jesse, you have a quote from the Taylor Hall press conference. Do you want to read that out to us? 
Yeah, he said, this is from Luke Fox. He says, he's the best player on the team. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, Taylor Hall says of Jack Eichel, he just wants to win. I can't blame him. But I think the quote you're looking for, Adam, is the one about the team. So he also said, Buffalo is a team. Whether guys realize it or not, everyone around the league kind of pulls for them. So hmm. ch- channeling his inner Pierre Dorian. We're I'm a team. just going to say. They're a team. What are it's your thoughts? Good, on you know that, what though? Right? It's a good. It's a good hockey market though. I pull for them a yes. little bit, honestly. I mean, obviously, I don't really cheer for anyone, but I I don't like seeing a place that cares about the game as lo- the way they do have the kind of run they do. Yeah. And I would have said the same about Toronto. You know, at least Toronto in the last few years, I know they haven't won a playoff series, and you can make all your jokes, but they've won a lot of hockey games the last three or four years. And the ten years before that. Not so much. It gave rise to Steve Dangle. So um, <laughs> it gave lots good, of. I'm not here. I'm, they, if they're good, I'm not in this room. Right. They gave lots of fuel to your. Well, I don't know what I'm going to call you. Your, your dispositions. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word. So wow. You know, well put. Well put. I, I would like to see them get back. You know, it was going way back. Like Chicago was a down and out hockey market, and it was awesome to watch the Blackhawks become good and have star players, and you know, have twenty two thousand people in the largest building in the league at United Center. I mean, I, and I, you now know, they're down and out again. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. The circle of life. <laughs> no, so, how dare you so, but that's and that's the thing i want to say because because here's the thing kevin adams went in and controversially in the height of a pandemic cleaned house now that's probably at the behest of the pagulas but this is a team that that like the senators barely has any staff and they are now signing you could say i guess you could call him the number two free agent he's the top forward on the market and yeah, he only signed for one year. And yeah, Kevin Adams is like, we'd like to make this a little bit more permanent or a longer term relationship, which we all do not believe is going to happen yet. Maybe it could though. Changes. It could again. Anything can happen. It could happen at this stage in the game. It's hard to imagine that it does because I don't think Buffalo is going to be able to turn it around this year. However, this is a home run for Kevin Adams. Where does he take this from here? Does it make Buffalo a more attractive market? for players that are still out there in the market because they do have some space. I, I would think it does. And, and to me, they need to build up their bottom six. I mean, their, their top six right now is pretty good. Le- legit NHL top six. I mean, it's not the best in the league, but it's, it, they're, they're not, there's a lot of weaker teams at the top six, you know, than, than Buffalo is right now. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to, I don't know what the plan is in, in net yet there that obviously Rasmus Dahlin, I think is still going to be a star. You know, they've got some pieces and they just have holes and, and, you know, I don't know how much license or how much money Kevin Adams has to spend because it does seem as though cost cutting. They're one of the organizations. I mean, the Pagula's outside businesses have been hurt and then they're far from alone in that a lot of NHL teams in the same situation, but you know, they, they should be competitive for some of these free agents and let's face it, the free agents aren't costing what they used to. So they'd be wise to, to add another player or two. Well, you know, yeah, the goaltending situation, I think, for them is going to be the hardest part. Uh, Linus Allmark remains unsigned as an RFA, and Carter Hutton, obviously, has is on the last year of a $2.75 million contract. So, I mean, if they go with that pair, it's, I guess, would it, I mean, Linus Allmark has great moments. Carter Hutton had a year where, you know, Steve, you talked about it a lot, where he was oh. going to get paid, and he got paid. Uh, but the question then becomes like, you know, is that tandem going to be enough? Whatever line is all Mark costs you. And you've got $13 million in cap space 
if Chris, if you're suggesting that they have an internal budget and we have no confirmation on that, you might, I don't know. Um, you know, can you know, now that they've landed Taylor Hall, can, can he go back to the Pagulas and go, listen, I mean, we want to keep these stars in town. We want to have somebody, if we can, if we can, if you can give me some money and you know, for the, for this season and let me go out and get a goalie. Let me go out and get a, another defenseman to play with Rasmus Dahlin just to just to be his the Batman. Sorry, so Dahlin can be Batman and this this player can be Robin. Um, you know, uh, Buffalo could nip around the playoffs next year. Do you see the Pagulas doing that? And do you see Kevin Adams having the kind of pull within that organization in his first season to pull something like that off? Well, he certainly got a lot of pull with them because remember he was working for them for years. You know, running the the, the practice rink next door to the main arena. And, you know, ultimately parlayed that into becoming the general manager. Obviously, they thought well enough of the way he did business and what they learned about him that I think that he has their ear. Now, you know, I, I will say this, too. I think Ralph Kruger is a great coach. And giving him a second year there, I just – I to me, I think we could pick them as one of the surprise teams to, as long as they get a little bit more net. I think that's the, the biggest clear area where they need to be better. Uh, but – like Eric Stahl can still play, you know, that wasn't like a huge, sexy headline grabbing trade. And I think Hall's going to have a monster year. I mean, look out for the, like, like who's going to miss the playoffs if we have the Atlantic division next year. <laughs> I mean, Ottawa and, De- Ottawa and Detroit are in tough, but then after that, I mean, yeah. you got some pretty good teams. Not yeah. a lot available. Both of them, on, on, both of them got better. I thought. Mm. Yeah. But they're coming from a long way back in the pack. That's true. Yeah. Um, not a lot available on the goaltending market. We know that Corey Schneider is probably going to sign with the Islanders this afternoon if he hasn't already. Uh, Craig Anderson is an interesting idea because, you know, he's 39, but he had a 902 last year and probably can be had for nothing. You know, what about not- a trade though? I mean, we still got Flurry. We still have one of the Columbus goalies could move. And I think both of them are pretty good. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's a trade option there for Buffalo, which might, address some of the the financial issues if they're trading back, uh, you know, some, some money too, to, to even it out. Flurry. That would be good. Where do you want, where do you want Flurry to go? You don't want him in Vegas, do you, Steve? Flurry and no, I mean, it's kind of funny given the Alan Walsh stuff and then he just has to sit there, but uh, no, I, I want to see him. It's, it's, how, how should I put this? Flurry's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Oh, I think no doubt. Yeah, and I'd like to see him play more of his career as a number one. You know what I mean? He's played kind of a lot of it as the backup or tandem guy. And I'd like to see him go somewhere and have some success at the end. And it, it seemed like we were going to get this beautiful swan song, you know, at the end of his career tail end with Vegas, and it fell apart so fast. It's yeah. very strange. Well, what about Edmonton? Because they missed on Markstrom, and I know that they just signed Tyson Berry, and we can That's get Adam's in the go-to. Uh, what about honestly, Edmonton? You, can, no okay, you can't tell me yeah. that they really think going into next year with Koskinen, and for some reason, one and a half million dollars of eighty million year old Mike Smith is a I good idea. It was idea. two million. It was two million. Yeah, you got more than Lundqvist. Like, I mean, come on. And also, I mean, I can't, I can't see why Edmonton would have done that deal, but maybe because Mike Smith said, "Well, Lundqvist is even off the market, so we'll grind you on this one." I'm pretty um, sure for them it was either it was either going to be Mike Smith or Ryan Miller were their two options at the end, and they went with the known commodity who was there last year. So, I then then yes. you know that you got you can't think if you're them that that's going to be it, right? 
like they must think that there might be some trade options out there. They they got to be looking to upgrade that spot. Yeah, and I think that they think they can do it during the season too. Maybe like that that it doesn't necessarily have to be something that happens in October twenty twenty. It's the only part of their. I actually think with little cap space, they did a pretty good job to dress some of their holes. They need better defensive players. I think we would all agree there, but they also lost their power play quarterback in, in, in the cleft bomb. And so, you know, getting Tyson Berry is not a bad power play option for them. He just has to be sheltered a little bit at five on five, but. Well, I, I like what they Tyson- did with, with no cat. They have no cap room. They got everybody cheap. They got everyone on good market value contracts. That's the confusing thing about Tyson Berry though, just because I, I want to talk about that for a second, because first off, you know, what we saw in Toronto with Tyson Berry, I don't think is completely fair. I think, you know, you had 20 games of Mike Babcock being a stubborn ass, basically. Uh, he And then, you know, and the team was then really good for the next 20 games, 25 games that Keith was the coach. And then they kind of went into their January, February kind of blase. And then we had had COVID. It was a weird, weird year. And I don't think the criticism, all of it, of Tyson Berry is fair. However, he was lauded as the, the solution at right-handed D and, and certainly was not the full solution. Still had a pretty good year. Um, he was offered almost double in Vancouver, apparently, what he got in Edmonton. He, get, he gets $3.75 million to play with McDavid on the power play. Um, he was apparently offered something close to $6 million in Vancouver. I'm not sure if you can confirm that, but that was, those are the reports we're reading. Um, Vancouver's got a good team. <laughs> why, why, why not that and why not more money? Is it that he thinks, hey, I get to play with Connor McDavid on the power play and I'm going to make a boatload of cash next year? I think he understands after the Toronto experience that fit is, is probably as important as anything for a player. And this doesn't just apply to him, but he's got to play somewhere where he's the number one power play guy at this point in his career. I, I just don't think he's, he's not giving you enough value. I mean, that's what he's good at. And, and I think the source of his issues in Toronto honestly started with the fact that he was on the second power play and the Leafs had a killer first power play, uh, you know, so they don't get the second power play unit doesn't even get on the ice much in Toronto. And, and that started him off on the wrong foot with the Leafs and with Babcock. And, and I just don't, I mean, he's, he's look, he still put together a pretty good bad season for himself, <laughs> you know, all things considered, but you know, I, I just think it never got off to the right start there. And, and if you're going to go sign with a team that is Quinn Hughes, unless they're using two defensemen on the power play, you're not getting on the first power play. Right. And so I think he understood that finding the right situation to, 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 flourish and show his best made sense. It's why he had to leave Denver, right? Kale McCarr came along and stole his job at the end of that one season. And, and it kind of made him redundant there in a sense. And so he's right. almost a little bit of a specialist type of player with what he does well, because what he does well is he does really, really well. And, and so, you know, in Edmonton, they're going to play the crap out of him when it's five on four. And I think they're going to try to to protect him at five on five. And, and if they find the right mix and if, you know, I think he can be very successful doing that. And I think he understands that better. That was his lesson from Toronto. It was a, it's hard to play somewhere new after being in Denver so long where he was very comfortable and was, I mean, Tyson Berry is one of the best guys you could ever meet in the NHL. Quite honestly, he's a super guy and it just, it didn't go well in Toronto. I think he learned some lessons from that and that informed his decisions he made on, on free agency day. And to, to give you an idea, by the way, uh, you know, in terms of situation and what a difference it made, uh, I tweeted this the other day. Barry under Babcock, uh, zero goals, seven assists, seven points in 23 games, which is a 25-point pace over an 82-game season. Barry under Keefe, five goals. I think he scored, what was it, three or four straight games. 
five goals, 27 assists, 32 points in 47 games, which is a 56 point pace. And he scored the first goal of the season the very first night when Keith took over in in, in Arizona. And then he scored the return to Colorado. The very next game was his return to Colorado. He scored there. Like it was like literally like turning a light switch the the minute the coaching change was made. And and look, I'm not going to blame Babcock exclusively because, you know, Morgan Riley is to me a legitimate power play one guy. Like I I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was insane, but what it was, it was reflective of a front office and a, and a coaching staff that wasn't totally in, in tune, which we've all kicked around enough over the years. 100%. So, you know, uh, I mean, really with Edmondson, it seems like they, you know, they, they made a really, uh, I think one of the better moves of the day, which was Kyle Turris. Um, that is a, to me, uh, I, I, I know that people didn't like Kyle Turris based on his production versus salary. But if Kyle Turris can give you what he gave you last year in Nashville at the money he's going to be making, which I think is in the neighborhood of one and a half million dollars. One six five, I think. One six five. And this is a guy that, I mean, 30 or 40 points for one six five is, I don't know, pretty good in my books, Uh, especially for a player who is trying to prove himself and trying to prove he still belongs. He's 31 years old. Yeah. 31 points last year. So, you know, there's a, a playmaking option. What do you think of that deal? And what do you think about his fit? Because that's going to be really important. It wasn't a fit in Nashville pretty much from the beginning for Kyle Turris. Yeah. You know, he did have a really good first year there and the Predators had a good first year. It just didn't end up with the Stanley cup. And then right. for a whole bunch of reasons, their team is kind of, I wouldn't say completely falling apart, but they certainly haven't, they, they didn't take the steps that everyone was projecting for them. Um, and so Kyle Dur- Turris is a bit of a victim of that. Obviously he's got to own his own performance too, but you know, I think he was scapegoated a little bit. He had some injury issues there and he signed a big contract and he didn't live up to it. So, you know, again, it's a harsh business. He gets bought out, but I think when you're looking at him on a one-year deal uh, and, and not making much money, I mean, it's a no brainer to me. He's still young enough and he's, he's played for Dave Tippett before in Arizona. I just think that he'll be much more comfortable. I think the expectations will be reasonable and remember, he's going to play behind some version of McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins as the other centers. I mean, he's their fourth-line center, or I guess if they're using Dreisaitl or someone on the wing, he's their third-line center. But, you know, you're, you're not asking a ton from him. You know, he's probably getting some power play two-time. Um, but, you know, I think at this point in his career, I, I, I like the signing, and, you know, good for Edmonton. It's a place that, that kind of is the butt of some unfair jokes, I think, at times. I actually just spent a month there and it was awesome to be there in September. I mean, I, I've only ever visited during hockey season in the past and it's usually minus 30, but to be there when it's like 15 degrees Celsius and gorgeous, there's gorgeous. like great, great running trails. And it was, it's, a, it's actually, I just say it, it's a low key. It's, it's a better spot than I think it's given credit for and good for them for landing some free agents. And look, that, that team should get better at some point. I mean, if, if we're cheering for teams, if we're cheering for Buffalo, I think we should be cheering for Edmonton too, honestly, with the, the best player in the game to, to, you know, actually get to show himself on the biggest stages. If you have Kyle Turris as your third line center, how do you not run McDavid dry saddle every game together? Like you've got Nuge. What does it matter? If you've got, a, if you've got 240 or 250 points on one line, what does it matter? As long as the other guys are playable, like you, you're talking about, you know, guys that could do 120 points together easily. Those two. Right. And, and look, I think what Edmonton's going to look at is, is better defensive play. I mean, they don't need more goals. It's actually, it's a lot like the Leafs. Like any discussion about the Leafs shouldn't be, how do you make this team score more? How can you make the third line more dangerous? It's more about how do you, can you build a team and to support the superstars? Cause 
you know, Tampa is the best example of this for teams like Edmonton, Toronto. You don't have to win seven, six. And I'm also not arguing that you got to win two, one, but when you have the offensive power they, they do at the top of the lineup, I think how the bottom of the lineup is built and constructed is really important. And, you know, Kyle Turris himself doesn't always have the best defensive metrics. He did a couple of years ago. You know, we'll see if he can rebuild himself, but I think put in the right role with the right understanding you know, that, that team can become more, maybe more complete at the, the bottom half to support those top players. Boy. I, I need to know, it's just, it's a lingering anxiety of mine just throughout this show. Like, are you, are you expecting like at some point for news to break? Like, are you constantly looking at your phone? Like, why, why am I on the podcast with these chumps when it's such a big potential day? <laughs> I know my why because I love being with you guys. So I'm never. I'm not, thinking, I'm not saying why am I being it, but like I'm not lying. Like I have a bunch of text messages, and usually that's you where check it them? comes from nowadays. Is text? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, sure. Let's look at it. You check them live. <laughs> on we'll just hang imagine, out here. What? Can you imagine? Oh, we got we have breaking news on the podcast. And well, and if it broke on the podcast, it's wasted here. <laughs> Andy's frozen. Um, <laughs> unbelievable yeah, he is frozen he is frozen so um you know it's interesting with that edmonton situation because that's a team uh, he's back anything anything exciting no all my idiot friends ask me what's going on ah. sometimes that's actually I the funniest part friend. of this job like you get to that day you know like you're on tv live and, and it's the free agent day and like you're so you're obviously texting people that are and every second counts. And then in the middle, it's just like my buddy going like, hey, what are the Leafs doing? Or, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I never want to be a jerk, but it's like, just don't text me on that day. You guys excluded. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I always try to, I always try to catch you early and just say, hey, good luck. And that's it. Uh, and Chris, to his credit, always gets back to me and goes, hey, thanks. And like, I'm like, that I got a response at all is a freaking miracle. Cause I know it's getting crazy. Now the, uh, the thing that, that obviously, you know, that your buddy wanted to know that we all want to know is the Leafs. <laughs> We're going to go through the Leafs. We're going to start with the defense on the Leafs, Chris. And your panel, at least from my view, is frozen. But are you still with us? There he is. With you. There he is. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to run down the day. Now, if we were to just take a step back from everything that happened on an ABC schoolyard curve, what do you, what do you give the Leafs? On their defensive moves or on their moves in total? Just the whole, the whole moves in total. I'm giving them a B grade so far. Okay. And so my mind far. is op- yeah. my, my mind is open to upgrading it. I, I think that this has been a fascinating couple days for the Leafs, honestly. Like, I mean, we've seen a bit of a turn in, in how Kyle Dubas wants to build his team. I know he probably chafes at all the discussion around this, but let's face it, he was not – the kind of GM that was going to sign a Zach Bogosian in the past. And, you know, the, the only crazy thing to do is to, to just keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. And no matter how he wants to frame it or phrase it, if you just watch what the Tampa Bay Lightning did, and I don't mean just winning the cup, I mean how they, how they transformed their team from a 62-win disappointment that gets swept out of the playoffs to a, a team of badasses, uh, which they were. They were awesome in the bubble. Um, they dominated the bubble. They, there was never a point I didn't think they were going to win the Stanley Cup during the bubble. Um, wow. And so I'll say that if you're in Kyle's shoes and you look at how your team's constructed, and there's obviously some parallels there, and you didn't at least think, hey, there's, you know, maybe we have to just recalibrate 
um, you know, you'd be crazy. So I give them credit for doing that. And I like what they've done, but it's very clear. We're looking at a picture that isn't fully complete. Like this painting, there's still some work to be done on this one. And, and the next moves could be interesting. Cause like they're, they're signing all these guys at great value. Like no matter what you think of Jimmy VZ, getting him at 900,000, well, like there's no risk there at all. So hold like, on Jimmy VZ, hold on that because we are going to get to him. And I want to, and when we get, I want to get to what they've done first. And then I want to go to what you think they could do, because I think that's what's fascinating. And I want, because the, otherwise the conversation is going to go all over the place as it often does on this show. And so I want to run through this. Are uh, you trying to keep this orderly? Yes. Yes. I want to keep it orderly. I want to make sure that we do it right now. Steve, you can, you can hear me too, right? You can yes. still, we're good. You're good. Okay. So here's what I want to do. Chris, I want to get your reaction to each signing as they've, as I, as I bring them up. And then Steve, I want to get yours as well, because it's very important. We get both here. Now, starting with, we'll start with the defense. TJ Brody, four years, $20 million. Obviously a guy that they wanted for a long time. Um, and it seems the feeling was mutual, especially after the details of the Cadre trade come out. Anytime a team wants you and your team considered trading you, you probably feel like, well, I probably want to be with the team that wants me. Um, how does that deal happen? Pretty good value on it. What's your initial reaction, Chris? And then Steve, will go to you after. Well, duh, <laughs> you know, it just made, it made so much sense that we could even figure out that that was a natural spot for him. I mean, look, the Leafs needed someone who can play the right side on one of their top two pairs. There, there was really limited options. If, if you're not doing Petrangelo, which it was pretty clear the Leafs weren't, if, if you're not doing Petrangelo, there were, there were just so few guys that, that would fill that hole. And I think Brody was the best of the remaining bunch. So I, I like the, I like the signing. I like the term. I don't think the money's crazy. It, it just made so much sense. Honestly, it was like a natural fit. Uh, if the glove fits, we got to acquit. You know, it was just, it was so easy. It just was, it made sense. So um, I'm sure it wasn't easy to get him. There was other teams out there interested in him. I think Calgary had some interest in keeping him, but um, you know, this, this to me, it's already, it already improves our team, right? You're, you're removing Barry and CC who, who, Barry wasn't really a great fit for what they needed. CC just isn't performing as a top six defender on that team. You're, you're getting better by putting him in there. Uh, notice you said top six and not top four. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I agree, by the way, but Dubas apparently still doesn't. Now, uh, Steve, with regards to that react, like when you, when you saw the TJ Brody signing come across, because you were doing a ton of coverage for Sportsnet, uh, what was your reaction to it? What are your initial thoughts? Thank goodness, because they needed someone on D and, uh, you know, it, it finally put to bed. Well, unless CJ tells me something different, it put to bed all the Petrangelo talk because it just didn't really seem like it was ever going to happen. I kept trying to galaxy brain a situation where they could make it fit. I, I'm sure there was a way, but uh, just getting TJ Brody for no assets other than cap space just seemed like a good fit. Uh, and what did, what did I say should be the Leafs' number one priority this offseason? Improving yeah, defense. Riley, a defense partner. Exactly. Improving defense is way too uh, broad of a term. They need to get their best defenseman a proper partner to play with. It wasn't CC. It wasn't Barry. Uh, Brody makes them better automatically by that so i was happy with the signing well let me let me hold you up there because what i'm hearing chris and steve is that it's not going to be tj brody and morgan riley it's going to be morgan riley and zach bogosian 
who signed for one year and one million dollars. Now, the reason for that, and Steve is not going to hear this, Chris. Did you actually hear that? I have heard that. Now, the reason I would reason, snap. You're bringing, you're bringing the news to me, Adam. The from reason where? Where did you hear it from? Well, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, there were so. There's so many. My worst nightmare is where. There's a reason why we talk to one insider because because there's there's legitimate insiders and then there's people that are like, I know a guy who's the cousin of a guy. Um, uh, uh, Chris, Chris, as the official fourth member of this show, being a real insider would know more about this than I would. But what I was told and what I've heard is that because the Leafs saw Zach Bogosian playing with Victor Hedman on those badass Tampa Bay Lightning teams that, you know, yeah, Victor Hedman played with everybody. Right. But Zach Bogosian also played with Victor Hedman. That's why people said, hey, he's kind of a slower. He's a right shot guy. He's a big presence. Maybe they just put Bogosian with Riley and then you put, and I think Jonas Siegel's article in The Athletic this morning even talked about it. You could have then Brody and Muzzin. And then if you say you have Justin Hall or Travis Dermott, because Kyle Dubas has come out and said, Travis Dermott will be playing the right side. Now that's if he's wearing a Leaf jersey next year. But if Travis Dermott's playing the right side next year or Justin Hall is there, then you have to think that both of those guys would be on the five, six role. Like, is this, is, are we galaxy braining this or is, is Morgan Riley or are Morgan Riley and TJ Brody playing together, Chris? You ever get, you ever get any complaints it's... from your neighbors with all those planets and moons revolving around your head, Adam? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. This is way too premature. And, and the only reason I say that I still think there's another move coming here. And, you know, I've heard it's possible. We're not just talking about Dermot or Hall being moved. I mean, it's possible they're both moved. And obviously if that happens, I would assume there's another defenseman coming in. Like I just, it feels too soon and I'm not trying to, to, you know, crap on your, your theory here, but I, I just, do I, it I my theory. do it. It's a stupid I, one. I just crap don't on. know who's playing for the team yet. So it's hard to say what the best pairings are. Like, like this Miko Lettinen is going to play for the Leafs. I'm telling yeah. you, I realize the hype train always comes with a European free agent, <laughs> but this guy, people I trust in Europe, say like he is absolutely a top four NHL defenseman and he's the best defenseman in the KHL and the KHL is not a nothing league. You know, he, I don't think the Leafs have him outside their top six. Like where's Rasmus Sandin in this? Like, this like I know the problem that, for me. I know that Rasmus, like he had options if he wanted to, to be one of these guys that could be loaned to a European team um, to, to get seasoning in and this, this time off. And I, I don't think the Leafs have wanted him to do that because they want him to be ready for a full season. Well, I mean, obviously that could still be a full AHL season, assuming there's the AHL, there's all these unknowns, but you know, I think they envision him as being on the team too. There, there's too many bodies here. And so unfortunately they're not all staying. I can't tell you who's going, I don't know where they're traded, but you know, this is, this to me is, it, it's so hard to really talk about their blue line in totality yet. Cause I don't, I don't know who their top six are. So then with that in mind, Chris, I mean, obviously a little bit of um, depth is good. If we could just, if, if Martin Marincin doesn't uh, set foot on the ice for the Leafs again, I know there's going to be a lot of people who are pumped. And I get that Marty's a, big, a good guy. I get it. I get it. I get it. He must be the best. People, and he better be great. But there's a lot of people that never want to see that. Death is not is he the longest thing. tenured guy in the organization now. Yes. No, oh, Morgan, Morgan Riley. Riley. Morgan Riley. Morgan he's Riley. close though. Two. Like Number he's in the mix. Yeah. Yes. 2050. This is uh, they. The Leafs acquired Martin Marincin for one of the picks they got for Daniel Winnick. That's how long he's been here. Wow. 
yeah. right? The first Daniel Winnick trade, by the way. The first Daniel Winnick one. Um, so the good news for you guys is he's got to be like 10 on the depth chart right now. Like, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but he's... The problem is, is that's where he should have been last season, the season before, and the season before that. You know, it's not that he's he's an AHL stud, and that's, it's like, you know, he's like the, the opposite of TJ Brennan. Great at the AHL level. Great at the AHL level. That's it. And, and that's, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, the, there was a lot of Martin Marincin propping up and I sort of bought into it for sure. But every time you see him play, you're like, I don't know what he's doing. I'm not sure what he's going to do tonight. Like, where's that puck going? Not really sure. He's a good penalty killer. hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. Well, he's huge. Uh, the thing though, Chris, good is that, like, though. if you don't see. If, yeah, but for passing, he's not handling the puck. A, you could have given him a potato gun. <laughs> Even getting similar results, <laughs> Chris. Ugh. This, this, if if you were to, and and this is this is, we're not holding you to this. No one thinks that you know anything on the. No, no, we we know you know <laughs> stuff, but we're no one is holding you to this. What do you think the Leafs' top six looks like in an ideal situation to Kyle Dubas? Keeping and in mind, no one include, thinks you know anything. No, but like nobody's like no one's going <laughs> to extrapolate anything from this. Is no, probably I the better know. way to put it. I just love the words. Well, you got Riley, Muzzin, and Brody as the absolute guys that are 100% in the top six, right? They're in the top four. Then it's just a ton of question marks, you know? And I I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what Kyle Dubas thinks on this one. I've never asked him. Um, You should. He's kind of busy. (laughs) He's probably having Thanksgiving right now with his family. What's he been doing all day anyway? (laughs) I don't know, but um, I know it talking to their people, like they had a crazy weekend. I mean, especially Saturday. I'm pretty I sure bet. there was some, there was some wine uh, consumed around the Leafs offices after they got through all that Saturday. I can imagine. Um, another name that, that has popped up, uh, well, the, the, the first name to pop up because he was given permission by the Sabres to talk to the Leafs four minutes after free agency breaks, Wayne Simmons to the Leafs, $1.5 million one year. He lives in Aurora. He's from Scarborough. Steve and I went to school with him. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, you obviously did? I Adam went to school did. with Wayne. Adam did. I went to school. Oh, you didn't. Okay. Yeah. I went to school with Wayne in seven and eight. Yeah. And I used to play road hockey with him. Uh, great guy. Really Joseph nice guy. Hall. Always was, and was always destined to go where he's going. Like there's, there was no question when, when Wayne, when you saw him on the ice and my friend played him at double a, and I remember going to the game and Wayne just, it was, it was Wayne. And then everybody else, he just danced through teams. Um, uh, I think he was playing for the Toronto Aces or something at that point. He was unbelievable. But, you know, he gets to come back home, gets to play for the Leafs, which I think both sides definitely wanted. And he's got a lot of time to rehab whatever ails him because he has had some injuries. Um, what does Wayne Simmons bring to this team? Do you like the signing? Um, and do you see this making a big difference with the Toronto Maple Leafs going forward? I hope he makes it big difference just because that means he does get his career back on track. I mean, last year was a miserable year for him. Uh, but I think what he brings is just character, you know, and I love his story. I love how much he cares about the organization. I love that he's willing to take less money to be here in the same vein as Jason Spezza. You know, I think the Leafs understand they got to, they're still building a culture and, and that's such a buzzword. Businesses use it, obviously sports teams use it, but I, I really do think it matters and you can't fast forward it, right? I mean, it's funny, like when Babs used to talk about how like the Leafs need some scars. Well, they do have their, they got their scars now, right? Mm-hmm. They, they know who they are. Like they've been through some shit and they're supposed to be really good. And 
they need these guys, I think, to come in and just it, it's like an injection of confidence as much as hockey. And and I know that and look at I'm I'm all for the statistical analysis that's come into the game. I love I'm not anti-analytics in any way, shape, or form, but I do think that yes, there you is, are. Yes, no, you are. I'm not. I'm not. But <laughs> I'm just you. no yes, because he, is. he hates stats. If you like stats, he hates them. Any analytic, <laughs> like any analytical arguments, are just logic-based arguments. I love logic. Right. Like, like to me, you, obviously, you want the players that are doing the effective things on the ice to be on your team, and and you want to be able to measure those things. But it, to me, it's it's it shouldn't be controversial. But there still is a bit of a secret sauce idea here. There's still something about the way your team plays and the fortitude you have and how hard it is. Because remember, the playoffs is so different than the regular season. Like to do what Tampa just did, you got to push and push and push. Like they played, I think they played four extra games worth of overtimes in the playoffs. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to be able to buckle down and, and just – battle through some crap like to, that five overtime game was wild and that was the first game of the, their first round against Columbus and those guys a few of them have said since if they lost that game they don't know if they have the run they had like it wow. meant so much to their confidence to finally beat Columbus because they've been swept by Columbus obviously they get you, you play eight periods of hockey like you're being pushed to the limits of what your brain can handle let alone your body and so you know I think that I just think you need that, that kind of character and leadership and all that stuff. And, and so anyway, that's a long way of saying, I think Wayne Simmons is like a home run for the Leafs on every way, shape or form. I think it's awesome that young fans of the team get to see a guy like him who grew up here and, you know, found a way to the NHL kind of through an unlikely path and like that he's living his dream and living his best life. I think he's a great example. And I think the Leafs are going to appreciate it too. He's going to fight someone. He's going to, he's going to throw some big hits. He's going to, play in a way that this team doesn't always do. And, and uh, you know, again, they're not going to reinvent themselves. They're still going to try to outskill other teams, but I think a little bit of that sandpaper is going to help. I, I need and to he know. has some of that skill. Oh, yeah. You know, he did, yeah, he has that skill. He yeah, they're going to put him net front on the power play, I guarantee you. It might be power play too. But, like, he's he'll fight to get there, and he's still got hands. Like, he can, he can score. I need Steve to know story. what it was like in the studio – because it was like, all right, and we throw it to the insider's desk, and it was Elliot looking down at his phone. You like, ah, uh, this isn't actually ours, and you threw it over to to Stewie. So, what what were the first few minutes of free agency like when you? Because uh, I th I think Wayne was the first one. Yeah, so it's such a chaotic day. You know, Elliot and I are sitting up on this platform essentially at our desk, especially right at twelve. Like you're you're texting everyone. You're you're you know you're you still got spirit at that point. You're still like into it. So you're trying to find stuff out. And all of a sudden the ear, the producer goes, Stewie says, Wayne Simmons is going to the Leafs. And I'm like, good for Stewie. You got that. And then like, all of a sudden they're like, and to you guys, and it's like, wait a minute. Well, this isn't our news. Like, <laughs> and I certainly wasn't disputing its veracity, but I, we didn't even have a chance to like text someone and confirm or just get the contract number, you know, like we didn't have a way to further the story. And so all of a sudden we're on live TV. And then I'm just like, well, Anthony Stewart says Wayne Simmons is signed with the Leafs. <laughs> and where was he? He was a uh, ice surfing studio, right? Yeah. He was in the, the big upstairs studio. So I, I actually didn't even see Anthony face to face that whole day. Wow. <laughs> I saw him on our TV set, but that's it. Wow. And he wow. had the first one of the day. And it, it, that was a nice little bit of hosting you did there because you know, well, deer in headlight for one second, and then you're like, and to Anthony Stewart. Right. And it's funny, Elliot was getting chirped by the producer that he was like, that he wasn't, he kept looking down at his phone whenever we were on or whatever, that he was deferring too much. So he was doing um, it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so Wayne is a, and I love that Wayne, in, in, I think he did nine interviews 
uh, within the first couple hours of signing in Toronto. Yeah. But one of the things he said is he brings a, he will bring some face punching, which is really good. And I think Toronto fans are going to love that. He said, because... Didn't he say, I'll punch your head off? Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. what he said. <laughs> you won't be afraid to which... punch someone's head off. Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Too much is made of how, you know, the sushi culture at, uh, at, at Scotiabank Arena. The reality is in, in the, the GTA, Leaf fans are really blue collar. And um and really yeah yes everybody knows diehard passion or whatever but the idea that everybody who's in the stadium every night uh is any sort of um cross-section of what leaf fandom looks like is is crazy um that's even even outside it's young kids outside and and that's great that it's young kids outside but you know most of the guys are um you know watching their garage watching in their basement have been watching for years um, working tough jobs and have, you know, kids and this, and this is their thing. And when they get, I think when they see a local guy going in and working like that, it's, it's going to take a lot of the pressure off of the players that aren't doing that uh, and let them sort of be them. Like, I wonder, you know, you put I, the, 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 but I think the work the, ethic part is contagious. Like if you've ever yeah. had a job where you worked with someone who like gives it every day, like there's sort of a subtle pressure. That person doesn't have to say anything to you that you have to kind of like up your own level. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I think adding those kind of guys, and I'm not suggesting the Leafs top players don't work hard. Let's not turn this into a narrative thing. But like, I, I think that the group understands that, that they have more to give, like that they haven't all given their best yet to this level, that they can all be better. And that's where the success is going to come from. You know, like Kucherov two years ago was a disaster in the playoffs, gets suspended, just, you know, a, emotional wreck. And then this year he was just a beast. Like, I just think you, you have to, and he's still a superstar. He won the hard trophy two years ago, but it's just, I think that guys like Wayne and I think Jason Spezza does this, or even Jake Muzzin. I think Jake Muzzin actually is a, like a low key driver behind the scenes of how the Leafs are. Um, I, I think that that stuff matters. Sorry to hijack your thought though. No problem. No problem. Well, and one of the, I think one of the tidier signings and you've already made mention of this, Chris is Jimmy VC. Now this is a guy that the Leafs, were in on originally when uh, his rights came up in Nashville and he ended up signing with the Rangers. I believe VC uh, senior, his, his father at the time worked for the organization. And I believe his brother was in the system somewhere. And I don't believe either of them are still with the organization. However, Jimmy now is at one year, $900,000. And what I found really interesting when I was looking at his stats, you look at a player like Jimmy VC in his three years in New York, he scored 17, 17, and 16 goals. Obviously, last year was a disaster for everybody in Buffalo. Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, right on down. Wayne Simmons, I guess, was a part of that for a little bit, too. Everybody had a bad year, so Jimmy Vesey had a bad year in, in Buffalo. But my thing is, Jimmy is a guy that you would say out of four years, he's had three where he hit 16, 17 goals. Compare and contrast that with a guy like Andreas Janssen, who, yes, we love Great, great person, great attitude, and a very skilled player. However, Andreas Janssen has one season where he has eight goals and one where he has 20. And then last year, which was uh, unfortunately cut short because of injury. Um, you know, for the money in on a value proposition, that's some pretty tidy work by Kyle Dubas to get a guy that you could probably reasonably project to get 12 to 15 goals in maybe a third line role on this team. Exactly. And, and that's how the Leafs know they have to try to win. I mean, when you allocate all the money they have to the top of the roster, you have to find some bargains that can play at the bottom of the roster. And it just so happens this free agency plays perfectly in many ways into the hands of a team like the Leafs, because I think that they're unafraid to make some of these bets, even knowing that they might not all turn out. 
Uh, and I'm not saying it'll be Jimmy VC, but it's possible one of these signings, you know, the guy just isn't good enough to be in their top 12 or 13 forwards and they got to pay him 900 grand to be, play for the Marlies. Well, the Leafs are willing to do that. Not many teams are, are willing to do that. And I think it's more likely to say that he's going to have a bounce back year. He's going to become a contributor on this team. And as you rightly point out, he's he what makes a quarter of what Andreas Janssen was making to do it. Right. And, you know, I don't think he'll fully replace Janssen. I, I'm pretty high on Janssen actually as a player, but I just think, I think that's reasonable. I'm not trying to detract from him by saying that it's just, you did have to lose Janssen's salary, right? So right, you just no. couldn't be paying third liners, 3 million bucks, except maybe Alex Kerfoot. But I mean, that's essentially what happened here, right? They traded Kapanen and Janssen just because they couldn't pay those guys what they were making in a cap structure and still be competitive. So I, I love these signings. I, I just think there's no downside if you're Toronto and you know, I still think Joe Thornton's coming here too. Like that's like, I don't know how this is well, all going to fit. That'd be cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't, there's, I, a, I should, there's a, there's a bomb. <laughs> but, <laughs> really? Well, let me, let me reclassify this a little bit more accurately. <laughs> I, I think that they remain very interested in Joe Thornton. Right. And I think he is open to the idea. I don't, it's not that obviously if it was done, they would, they would announce it. It'd be on the Leafs PR account, but I think that there's some mutual interest there still. So even the bottom six is still a bit of like, if we're going to ask what the lines look like, like I have no idea where this all fits uh, with all these guys they're bringing in. And if they added someone like Thornton, it's what kind of points me again to, to trades. Like I, I think the Leafs are in on everything right now. So I, th- this was so right before Jason Spezza resigned with the Leafs, I notoriously on this podcast said, yeah, you know, I don't know if they're bringing them back. So I know that was, a no, you said he wasn't an everyday tape. player. Yeah. I don't know if he was an everyday player and he might not be though. So here's my question though. So he's back, but he's at a different point in his career. If Thornton were to come to the Leafs at a different point in his career, are those guys everyday centers or do they maybe move a little bit more to the wing? Well, I mean, we saw Spezza play the wing a bit last year. Like I I think that, I think that they're probably wingers with center potential and, and look, they're injury insurance too, if it happens. Right. I mean, they can play center in a pinch if, if you, you know, sustain some injuries at that position. So I, I don't think it, it hurts to have guys that can do it. Um, I, I just don't know what the lineup's going to look like. I'm kind of fascinated by it. Like, that's what I, I like the VZ signing, but I saw it and I was like, like, where are all these bodies going? Like, remember they signed Barabanov and, yeah. you know, I don't know a ton about him. Like what I've heard from the scouts, like let's have modest expectations of him in, in the sense, I don't think he brings much offense uh, likely doesn't project to bring a lot of offense to the NHL, but I assume he's going to play. I mean, part of the way the Leafs keep luring these guys is that they give them a legitimate opportunity to play, right? And they obviously have a good relationship with Dan Milstein, who, who happens to represent a lot of the Russian players. But, you know, Ojaganov played here. It didn't work out. But, you know, he can't say that the Leafs signed him on a promise and then only gave him 20 games and sent him to the AHL. And so, they gave him his equipment, too. Exactly. For that story? That. <laughs> Walked yes. off with his equipment. <laughs> and I heard, and I see he did it in a Russian interview where he criticized Babs too. Wow. Like pretty harshly. I, like, I would love like to read very that. Severe words. You, you can probably find it with one Google search. Like it, yeah. it was like, it was like a scathing, it was a scathing teardown of like the way the Leafs do business. But anyway. Well, it's a tradition every summer. The, the, when the Russians players go back, we finally get the translation and oh, Kucherov's trashing like Kalorn or something. Remember that? If you yeah. And to be fair, yeah. he might've been misquoted. Like I shouldn't actually put this on, on Ozyganov because I never asked him, but I actually okay. don't know if I ever talked to him other than a quick hello. 
it was he was here and he was gone. Right. Well, I mean, and that's how he was for most Leaf fans too, to be honest. So to get back on topic, like let's like we we can start with the Leafs bottom six, and so you assume Bearban. I assume Bearbanov's playing. I assume VZ's playing. I assume Spets is playing in that bottom six. Like, are they keeping Nick Robertson? That is there even going to be an OHL season to send him back to? Like, that has to be part of the development decision here. What if what if there is no OHL, but there is an AHL? Is well, he allowed to be sent to the AHL in that case? I would assume he would be. I mean, they haven't set the rules for that yet, but I mean, nobody wants their top prospects who are 19 years old not to play this year, like anywhere. Um, can, he, can he go to the E? Probably. He can be a growler. There Is that go. allowed? Because I know it's not. he's not allowed to go to the A. Well, he's not under traditional rules, Steve, but I, I have to believe if there's no OHL season and the AHL gets going and the NHL gets – I mean, there's so many ifs here, man. Like, this yeah. is – we. I'm, I'm glad we've avoided this topic because it's really depressing, but like, <laughs> I don't even know what – I don't even know what we're talking about here. I don't know what next season looks like. You're building a team and you don't even really know what it's going to be, like what right. it's for. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm even thinking that, like, yeah, they'll send Travis Boyd to the AHL. It's like, what happens if there's no AHL? Well, so – have they even made a decision yet on roster size? Cause that was the first thing I thought when I saw this is, well, wait a sec, maybe you'll be allowed to carry six guys instead of, or sorry, six extra guys instead of three, because there's nowhere to send them. Exactly. Sort of like they had in the bubble, right? Like every team yeah. had expanded rosters for the bubble. They haven't made that decision because they, you know, no one knows what it's going to look like. That, that, that'll that kind of come in time when we know if there's going to be an AHL season, but like the AHL has more complications than the NHL in getting back up and going next year. Um, yeah. Because some teams are owned by individual owners that use this as a business to make money. Like it's not just development for them. Right. And those teams aren't going to want to operate if there's no fans in their building because they'll be losing a lot of money. Yeah. No kidding. Well, and it's already tough enough to make money with an AHL franchise, right? Yeah, I mean, some do well. I think the Chicago Wolves do well, and that's one that has an independent owner. And, and they're always a team, the Wolves, that they, they'll sign sort of a semi-expensive AHL-only guy just to have talent. Like, you know, I think there are ways to make it work, but it's – you're right. It's No one's getting super rich off owning an AHL team, I don't believe. No, no. Um, so That's I why think they the always stay one... put and never move. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last <laughs> – that's a good point. I bet some OHL teams do better. Uh, but I mean, also the fact that you don't really have to pay the players all that much probably would have to do with it too. But um, do you know who we with, didn't talk about yet? Who? This Joey Anderson. Well, that's what I was getting to. That's where I was going. I, I like, want to know about fit in all this. Well, where does he fit? Is he, you know, from, from what I heard from, you know, obviously we saw Rachel Dory put out a thread. Obviously she's pretty familiar with the New Jersey Devils. said he wasn't necessarily developed in the way that he needed to be. Is this a guy that's a year off, like where where they, you know, assuming, let's assume the AHL's back. Is he, a, you know, an AHL guy that they're grooming for the NHL eventually? Or is he a guy that they see in the roster now? I think they see him in the roster now. And I'll tell you why. I know that they had trades for Andreas Janssen that included just draft picks. So if, if it was just their desire to just, you know, shed Janssen's salary and, and get back future assets, they could have done that. And yet they take the deal that includes Joey Anderson. And, you know, I have to confess, I saw Rachel's thread. It was great. I, I don't know a ton about the player, but to me, 
if they didn't just take a draft pick for him, it suggests they like this player. And obviously he's 22 years old. So he's at a spot in his career where you would expect them to be able to play. And so I assume that's what they're, they're going to do. You know, Janssen, it's kind of interesting. He could have been a Montreal Canadian. I know they were one of the teams with, with heavy interest in him, which is, would have been, would have really pulled at Steve's heartstrings, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't so you like that? Probably a better outcome for you that he ends up in New Jersey. Yeah. I wonder um, if they wonder what the package from Montreal would have been because they have a ton of picks and they have a ton of young players. Right. And they've been using their picks to get guys, right? And to get to the you know, acquired Joel Edmondson's rights and signed him and all that. I, I don't know what what level of a pick it was, but but certainly I think they were a team that was just going to take him for a salary and, and for futures. Um, but there were other teams around there too. I mean, Janssen has a lot of value. This is the one thing about the Leafs. Like for all the crap they take from the hot take artists, like they don't have bad contracts. And so all of these players are movable. Like, yeah, you might not love the number for Janssen because they have a cap problem, but other teams look at 3.4 and the fact he signed up for this year and plus two more. And they, they like that security. They're like, that's a great number for him. Like we know we're going to bring him in and he'll be a player for us for a couple of years. So you know, and the fact that the Leafs structured it where it was front loaded with the money made made it so that he's actually paid less. Like they've done a lot of smart business here. And unfortunately, the people that just come at them with stupid crap get all the attention for the stupid crap they throw at them. But like the truth is the Leafs have been a really smart front office. And and I know that they haven't won a playoff series and all the things you can trot out there, but like they're they're pushing the boundaries and using their financial might to to maneuver this whole cap picture. And I think they've done a great job of it and it's all going to pay off one day. You watch it. They're going to become a, a, a force and everyone's going to go, Oh yeah, of course that was always going to happen. But right now they're, they're taking a lot of bullets. Well, well Chris, for- we're going to be clipping that one and putting that on Instagram and seeing what people say. Ooh. I'm just going to put that out there. In, in terms of, a- in terms oh, of the- shit, <laughs> out of context it's the best isn't it <laughs> and he also said uh thornton to the leafs confirmed i think yeah. confirmed i believe yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely if um, i can ask yeah. anything of you please just don't do anything like that <laughs> we, we, we don't it, don't it's worry what drives me nuts about doing radio hits like you just say one oh, little yeah. thing and they just take it and like twist it and then the someone's texting you like you said what this is anyway we're about to find out if account for hockey is a podcast listener yeah right yeah 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 no well he is the last time chris was on he live tweeted the whole thing i'm like hey man can you just like let people listen oh yeah remember that time i did it after the leafs breakdown day no chris we don't (laughs) so chris after the leafs breakdown day i remember you texting me but what was the reaction because i I remember what your text said, but but I don't think a lot of people knew that there was some follow-up for you as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of, like, you said what and what? and uh, Anyway, it, I think <laughs> we should actually revisit that one day. Like, I'm pretty sure what I said all pretty much came true. Like, I don't think I said anything at the time that was, like, completely off base. It just – it was maybe a little too early to say some of what I said or a little too direct or what I don't know, whatever. This is my view though. So like my day-to-day job, think about it. I write for Sportsnet. I do these little TV hits. I do radio hits like that. That service is like the, the casual fan, but I feel like I used to do these live shows in Toronto, the puck talks oh. and, and, and obviously podcasts like this one. Like, I feel like your service, you got to give like, this is the hardcore. It's like how deep are we into this thing? Like over an hour and a half, like anyone who's oh, listening, yeah. who's still listening to this, like I should give them a reason to listen. Like, I want to tell them things they haven't heard somewhere else because they deserve that. I mean, the hardest core hockey fans deserve the, the real kernels of truth. I think. Agreed. 
Agreed. Um, well, and we, we appreciate that because it's fascinating for us. Cause obviously we're hungry for all of that. And you know, Chris, to be honest, it's entertainment know, too. Like who's getting here? Yeah. Like, we're not like, this is that's not this life is and death. Candy store. Is it's the candy yeah. store. It's, it's Toy your, store. really, um, like, can you believe fun- this is my job? I get paid to do this. Like, it's insane. How did <laughs> Look that at my office? <laughs> is this work? Is this, I'm not coming up. I'm, I'm not walking out of here. It's a hard day. Yes. Oh God. Covered in soot. It's no, yeah. this, this is awesome. This is great. Uh, uh, there is a couple of important stories I do want to quickly get to here before we go. But Chris, I do want to say that when you are honest like that, it also for a fan from a fan's perspective, which is all I am, uh, it, it, it just adds to, I think your credibility because everything you said happened and it may have been a little too early for certain people, but that sort of honesty is the kind of honesty that keeps people coming back. And I think that's the, you know, at the time it may have been a little bit hot for you for a couple days but at the end of the day like what from that episode didn't happen well i'd have to revisit it because like i've tried to block out the memory of it all happened everything happened i remember i I said they were going to trade cadre which happened yep you said there would be bombs that would go off you were talking about pretty sure i said that babs was in trouble which didn't happen that off season but it happened 20 games into the season yeah anyway I'm Good saying, times. I'm Just saying. think of the fun we've had together, fellas. Oh. <laughs> so um, now, uh, I remember my bosses actually at Sportsnet. I think were some of the most unhappy people with me. Really? Well, it's like you go on a podcast and say all this. Like, where's this on our? Especially back then, it was pretty. It was on the Sportsnet platform. I think at that point. So I don't. Anyway, well, I hope well, it, not too. It much. wasn't a huge issue, but it was. I was reminded who I work for. Oh, okay. Well, two of the four members of this show work for Sportsnet currently. So technically, I think there's some adjacency there and Sportsnet can benefit from that as well. Right? Am I wrong? Yeah. And, you know, and look, I, mean, it, I should be clear. They weren't like jerks about it, but like, no, you know, there's always someone watching what you're doing is the point. And oh. every once in a while, you got to be reminded. <laughs> Steve, any comments? <laughs> Just imagining Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards. No. I'm going to get chewed out. I've been chewed out before. Adam, <laughs> before you get to your two things that you got to finish off, I got to ask Chris, for the last, what was it, three months, you've lived inside of a bubble in Toronto and Edmonton. What's that like day to day? Oh, man. It was kind of soul destroying a little bit. Like, I, oh, if I'm being honest, I mean, if we're staying on the honesty tree here, um, here's the thing. I got to be really clear. Like I was actually really grateful that somehow the NHL had that playoffs and I got to cover it and be a part of it. So like I was coming at it from a position of gratitude and like, it was really cool that they did it, but it was hard, man. And I didn't even live fully in the bubble. Like I, I have so much respect for the players and the staff members for the teams in the league that like they were in the bubble for 66 days. These players are staying. It's an awesome hotel, a JW Marriott in Edmonton. Like we'd all would, be fine to stay there obviously for a normal visit, but they couldn't even get a coffee in the morning and walk around the block. Like there was limited opportunity for them to go outside for 66 days. Plus they're in the playoff pressure cooker. Like you could never get a release from work, right? Like you're just stuck in it the whole time and you're separated from your families. I I just have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for what those players went through. And, you know, some of them I know well enough I was texting with and stuff. I just, I really, I know it was hard on a lot of guys, probably in a way that they won't talk about too much publicly. But, you know, if we're in this year, I think we have to be open about mental health. And I, I think 
there are some real challenges there for those, for the players and for the staff members too, that work for the teams. You know, I know a lot of those people really well too. You know, I wasn't actually in the bubble. I was bubble adjacent. So I got to sleep at home. And when I was in Toronto and I got to stay in a hotel in Edmonton, enter the arena and get temperature checked a whole bit, and then basically go to a specific section and watch the games and then leave. So I never came face to face with players or, or GMs or whatever during that time. And it was hard. It was so weird. Like my two favorite parts of the job are getting to know people like, you know, ruffling around for info, having those conversations we have normally in the dressing room and the interviews and stuff. And number two is just the excitement of the games themselves. Like it's cool to go to all these big games and just, you just feel it even if you're not, you're not rooting for the team. So you took that, those two, my two favorite parts of the job didn't exist. You know, we we're doing zoom calls like this one to interview which, you know, it's impersonal. At least we know each other well enough, like it's still fun, but it's not the same as sitting in a room together. And, you know, the, the games themselves, like it was weird, like Tampa wins the cup and it's, just, you can hear everything. Like <laughs> there's, no, there's no cheering. It's, you can like literally hear the players yelling. And some of it was actually awesome. Like when there was like skirmishes on the ice and you can hear the chirps and stuff like that was great. It was really cool, but it was just a hard environment. Like it didn't feel this, it didn't feel quite the same. I think the hockey was the same. I think that it was just as hard to win the cup, but the experience of going to those games was not like going to a normal playoff game. There's just no way around that. And, and for the players. So I, I think I read something Tampa and the Islanders coming over from the Toronto bubble to the Edmonton one were a little put off. So I know in Toronto, you were able to use BMO field and you were actually able to go outside when you were talking about the not being able to go outside for a coffee thing, but where, what was available to everyone in the Western bubble? So basically the JW Marriott's connected to Rogers place with an above ground walkway. Uh, so you didn't have to go outside to walk into the arena. Now on the concourse of the arena, they had a bunch of things set up uh, because I, I would go on the second level, but I couldn't go down to the main concourse because that was technically the bubble but they had like golf simulators and things for the players to do there. But so like a lot of their social time was walking across this pedway into the arena and doing stuff on the concourse that was set up there. They used, you know, it's a big, it's an awesome uh, building actually in Edmonton. And then outside in Edmonton, there was just a small concrete courtyard that the players were calling the prison yard. And it was really small. So you could go out and get fresh air there, but like, it was so small, like, I guess you could walk circles around it, but you know, Jesus wasn't ideal. And, and they did do some bus trips to Commonwealth stadium, uh, but that's not connected directly. So you have to get on a bus and go there and you, you know, they, they did get to go outside. I know they, they did some golf days, not too many, cause it was complicated with the restrictions, but at least at hotel X in Toronto, what the lightning really liked about it. So there's actual tennis courts in that hotel, like legit ones. There's pickleball courts. There's a rooftop pool. There's a great view of the city from up there. I think there's multiple restaurants and then they could literally walk outside it was all fenced in and, and go right to BMO field where there was a restaurant set up for them. And obviously they could kick soccer balls around or spike ball or whatever they were doing there. And so they had a little bit more freedom of movement there. And I even know like one guy who works for the lightning was telling me he would do his daily jogs just along that fence back and forth between the hotel and BMO field. But like, at least he could run outside because you know, not, not everyone who likes to run on a treadmill. Um, you know, obviously you'll do it when you have to, but I, I think it just, they felt they had a little bit, they liked the setup. And I, I, apparently it's a really nice hotel. I've actually never been in it, but um, I, it wasn't a comment on Edmonton. Like everyone took that as like everyone saying Edmonton sucks. I think it was the setup in Edmonton was probably more ideal from a pure bubble standpoint because Hotel X, they had to get on a bus to go to the arena and go to the practice rink, what have you. So the, the Edmonton setup is, is, is more contained. 
but I just think it was worse for kind of peace of mind and things not related to hockey. And, and what right. happened with the whole families thing, families being allowed and then a lot of players didn't end up having their families join them? Well, the issue was the government and as a Canadian citizen, I'm not speaking as a reporter now, I actually liked that the government didn't bend its rules, but the government didn't bend its rules. And so families could have come, but they would have, it would have required them to fly to Edmonton on their own and spend 14 days completely in quarantine, just as anyone would have to do, you know, traveling any way across, you know, into Canada right now uh, from another country. And the problem with that, when you think about it, is because the, the series were so compressed, like a series was done in 12 days. So if you're, you know, the partner of one of the lightning, like, do you want to fly up here in quarantine for 14 days and the team might not even make the cup final? You know, you know what I mean? Like you might, you might watch them lose in the conference final entirely on TV from Airbnb in Edmonton and then just fly home. And so, you know, the only family members that ended up traveling here were those that were Canadian citizens that were already in Canada. And so they didn't have to observe that same quarantine. And it, and it, you know, I, I, that was really hard. I think on the guys, because truly one of the cool, coolest moments of seeing the cup one is then after the TV broadcast ends, all the families that are there just flood the ice and it's just mums and dads. And, you know, it's almost like 17 weddings or 28 weddings happening at the same time. Like, you know, getting different variations of the photo. Okay. One with mom and dad, not one with your partner, one with your kid, you know, and the cups out there and everyone's emotional. And I think, you know, that's one of the cool moments. I mean, in fact, I remember being in Boston the last time we could do this, and seeing Luke Shen out there with Braden and, and like Luke's on the ice and as an active NHL player with his brother, as he wins the cup, like it's so cool. And then the next year Luke wins it. And obviously Luke's family couldn't be there because these restrictions. So, um, you know, I think everyone made the best of it, but the reason it didn't happen quite honestly is the government didn't allow for modified rules for families. And I'm sorry for any family members listening, because I understand truly deeply, honestly, why you'd want to be there, but, you know, the reason we've limited the spread such as we have is because we've had rules like this and there should, there should be no exceptions. Um, now, we do have two major hockey stories to get to before the end of the show. So I'm going to try to get through them quickly because obviously our time is is running a bit short. The first thing is the Blackhawks My are very – Oh, okay. Your time's good. I know that uh, Steve and Jess would normally – I guess we're okay. Um, but, but we're relatively um, – re- Relatively quickly after um, Corey Crawford uh, uh, was told he will not be he would not be re-signed by uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, we had stories from Mark Lazarus and, and and I think Scott Bowers as well, who by the way have a great podcast and one of um, a Chicago Blackhawks fan pointed me in their direction. Talk about two guys that really know that team and the two of them team up and it's it's a great show. Uh, but you know, Mark came out with a, a sh- uh, an article in the Athletic with quotes directly from Jonathan Tays saying. Stan Bowman hasn't talked to us, but I guess we're going through a rebuild now. And Stan Bowman actually hasn't talked to anyone. Corey, so just to give you an idea, Chicago started last year with Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard went on to the conference finals as the starting goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights. Corey Crawford put up a 928. Yes, he's older, but he did put up a 928 save percentage, which is still pretty good. The most Chicago offered him was a one-year deal worth three million bucks. Now, Corey Crawford has obviously since moved on. The Chicago Blackhawks are very clearly preparing for some sort of retooling or rebuild. And everybody is mad at Stan Bowman. What's interesting about this is I think for the first time in about three or four years, Stan Bowman is doing the right thing. 
This is a team that started last year with Corey Crawford and Robin Lanner and net, and the best they could do was 24th. What are your thoughts on how Chicago's to handle things and what they should do going forward? Because Stan Bowman, haven't agreed with a lot of what he's done, and the Brandon Saad and the Artemi Panarin and the Zadorov trade, and we'll get to all that. But Chris, it's time for a rebuild in Chicago, isn't it? It is, and I think the question you're not quite asking, but you're maybe leading me there, is like, will any of these star guys leave? You know, will any of them want to go? And I have to believe they won't. Like, I have to think if Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, and I don't blame them for this, they, they in a lot of ways should be career-long Blackhawks just because of literally transformed this organization. I think they're in their history, the Blackhawks won three cups before them and they've won three cups with those guys. So, I mean, those guys are going to have a statue beside this, the statues that are outside that awesome building. They've got a Jordan one out there and Bobby Hall, Stan Makita. Like those guys are going to have a statue one day. So I think it's going to be completely on their terms. I don't think anyone's going to low key try to push them out or whatever. So it'll be up to them. But there's other interesting guys on this team. Like I know Duncan Keith in the past has had interest from teams and he's got a no move clause or no trade clause and, and he hasn't moved it. But, you know, maybe now with some of the writing on the wall, you know, maybe those guys think about that. And, and it's probably too soon to, to handicap it at 100% and say which way it's going to go. But, you know, clearly the core of those core guys are upset. And they're honestly, they're really upset at seeing Crawford go. Crawford was a huge part of that team. As you mentioned, he's still performing. Like, it's not like you're, you're not letting him walk away coming off a 902 or an 888 or something like he's, he's still a really good player. And so uh, there's some fence fences to men there, but I'm with you. Like this is, it's going to be painful. I mean, you have a team, probably the best team of its generation or certainly with Pittsburgh one or one, number one or number two. And you know, now you're going to see the dismantling. And, and I'll tell you, in Pittsburgh, we're not far off this day either. Like, they think they got another two seasons next year and the year after to try to take some swings. And they've almost drafted nobody. Like, they, they trade every pick that isn't nailed down, right? I mean, that's <laughs> – that, that like, and that's – like, I don't blame them. You, if you have two generational centers, like, the odds of them getting players as good as Crosby and Melkin at the same time again, like, they could play another 100 years as an organization and never have that. So, like – they, they should try to go for today, but, you know, it's starting in Chicago a little sooner, but I think, you know, Pittsburgh, within a year or two, we're going to be talking about the same stuff. And then there it'll come down to the same thing. Does, does Melkin want to chase another cup or does he want to finish his career NHL career in Pittsburgh? I can't imagine a scenario where Crosby leaves, but who knows? Pro sports is weird. What I found interesting is a cat. So anything could happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I found interesting about this though, is that Taze and Kane, especially Taze, and he is the captain, it, there was a sense in the quotes that he wanted to be, and I'll read some of the quotes to you guys. Tell me if this is your same interpretation. Um, bottom line is I want to win. This is what Taze told the athletic on Saturday. The expectation for our leaders on this team is, and myself is to come ready to training camp every year to be a playoff team. We prepare ourselves to win a cup for our fans. I've never been told that we're going through a rebuild that has never been communicated to me for that matter. A lot of this comes as a shock because it's a completely different direction than what we expected um Crawford said he was devastated after he got the phone call from Bowman that they would not be re-signing him uh Tay said it's sad it's really disappointing Crow has given so much to this team I feel he could be ready to bring more in the next few years and still be a big part of the group he had that mindset uh that he could help this team go deep in the playoffs again and there's no doubt that he could and like we said sure he performed well singularly but there is, I mean, obviously the Brent Seabrook deal is hanging over this organization's head. If Brent Seabrook, which he's trying to do, 
makes a comeback and is fit to play, it puts them in a really bad spot. And I hate to say that because that's the cap world we live in. Brent Seabrook, the best thing that, that could happen to the Caps is he sits on LTIR for the remainder of this contract, financially speaking, not talking about emotionally. But beyond that, if, you're, if you have Leonard and Crawford and Nett performing as they did last year, and the best you can do is 24th, what else is Stan Bowman supposed to do? Now, I wouldn't say, you know, I, like a couple of years ago, one of the biggest, one of the worst trades I think we've seen ever in the NHL, that sod for Panarin deal, uh, has hurt them and hurt them and hurt them again. And now he's taken Panarin and then he had sod and now he's traded sod and had to retain a million bucks on each of the next three or four years on that deal just so he could get Nikita Zadorov. It's, it's, a, it's a very, I'm not necessarily agreeing with the way Stan Bowman's going about it, but if I could say one thing, Stan Bowman is absolutely right. They need to do some sort of retool rebuild here. How do you do it? Well, you don't lose a fourth trade involving Brandon Saad because they've lost three already. So. <laughs> I, I think that's that's a that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, this is where it's hard, honestly. I can see this from Taves's perspective. I mean, look, he let's remember, and, and obviously they were gifted a spot into the playoffs with this, you know, return to play format. But he played great in that play-in round against Edmonton. Like, Jonathan Taves looked reborn. And even if you look at some of his statistical last couple seasons, like he's still been producing at a level offensively where I like, he still looks like he has some juice left. Patrick Kane is still a star, frankly, straight up. And so I can understand why those guys don't want to see this happen, but Stan Bowman works for the owners and the owners have to think what's right for the organization long-term and, and their long-term contemplates a time when Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane aren't playing for the team anymore. And so that's why I say this is just an awful spot. I mean, if I'm them, like, I don't know how cutthroat you want to be. I, I wouldn't even try to trade those guys. I would say to them, look, if you guys want out, you come to me, but I'm never, I'm never coming to you saying I have a trade, but if you get to a point where you're not comfortable, you know, my door is open and I'll listen to that because you've done, we want to do right by you. You've done so many great things for the Blackhawks organization, but I think it's a really delicate time there. And, you know, I think he has to continue down this road. I think he should probably try to trade everything that isn't nailed down and that, that isn't these core guys. If he can, and that isn't Dominic Kuba league, right? Right. Of course. And you know, maybe, and we'll see what the brink it is. Like I know last year didn't go as well for him, but he's still a young, it's they're just in transition, but I think that they should try to reload. Honestly, Boston reloaded. Like everyone forgets Boston missed the playoffs a couple of times with this core. And then, they could have won a cup last year and they've been one of the best teams in the league since then. You know, I, Pittsburgh reloaded between 2009 and winning their next cup in 2016 around the star players. Like I, I would try to convince Taze and Kane to see this through and be relentless in trying to build a better team around them. Because again, this is your greatest generation. Why not? Like the only thing better than their story is, is if somehow at the end of this, they win a, a late career cup for Kane and Taze. Uh, I mean, that would be pretty yeah. cool. Right. Like, even if, dance. even if they don't three, three titles, I mean, the three banners will fly forever there. Like they, these guys are legends, but I think, I think the way I would do it is not trade those players. Cause once you trade them, you're signing up for eight years of being bad. Like you're like Detroit had no choice, but look what happened to them when that's had to go and Lidstrom had to go. Like it's a long road back to respectability and I'll believe they'll get there under Steve Eisenman, but it takes forever. And so I would still be convincing those guys that I, you know, maybe have a conversation with them. It sounds like that's what Jonathan wants. I mean, I didn't talk to Taves, but 
based on those quotes, it sounds like he just feels a little left out in the dark on the plan, but I think the plan should be built around them, but be ruthless about it. And, you know, that probably means finding somewhere else for Brent Seabrook too. I think it means potentially trading Duncan Keith. Um, I think you, you really gotta, you gotta go for it. Being half pregnant doesn't work. Uh, one, one quick last thing, Chris, in your, in your estimation, obviously when the Panarin side deal happened, there was a lot of speculation about the, the guys bringing the band back together. Meaning, well, you know, if you want us to, they had just come off that terrible game or the terrible um, uh, thing against Nashville where Nashville was so dominant. And I think Chicago scored three goals the entire series and it was, they had been swept out and Bowman went to the guys and said, what do we need? That's apparently what happened. And they said, well, we want Brandon Sod back. And that's how that deal happened. That's one of the stories out there in your, in your experience, when a general manager consults with the star players on his team about what the direction should be as in not the GM dictating it, but the GM saying, what do you think? Because we all know LeBron James is the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers. We get that, right? Does that happen in the NHL? And when it does happen, does it work out? I think it's pretty rare. You know, someone like Sidney Crosby, I believe, has had a lot of – it's not that he's pulling the strings, but I think that they've, they've sought his input on a lot of the decisions made there over the years. You know, it helps that he lived with the owner at the start of his career for four or five seasons. You know, he had <laughs> – he has a great relationship right up and down the organization with everyone in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I think you have to be careful with it too, because the GM's got to do some unpopular things. I mean, it's just, it's, it's part of the job. It sucks. I, it's probably why I could, there's lots of reasons I couldn't do that job, but that would be maybe chief among them as you just have to deliver bad news or be cutthroat or, or do things that, that aren't popular in the moment that, that get you a lot of heat that piss off the other players, but, but you're doing something with the longer term vision in mind. And so, you know, I think it, what's important at some point with the, these star players of the Blackhawks is, is to, is just to see where they're at. And, and if you believe they're going to be like, I think one GM told me this, like you should never sugarcoat anything with anybody in your, in your, in your organization. Cause he said, it always comes back to haunt you if you try to sort of dance around topics or, or lie about them. And so I think Stan Bowman should have a very open discussion with them. Let them know exactly what he thinks, what he sees for them for these next three or four years or whatever they have been left in their careers, five years, and, and let him know his plan. And, you know, maybe leave the door open for some suggestions, but you, you can't have players. Players, you know, the GM is the GM. The player's there to play. And, and even though you respect your players and you treat them as human and, and you know, our, my bosses at sports that don't ask me too much, right? They expect me to do my job and, and I don't, and I'm not looking for that. And so I, I think that you got to know your place in the pecking order. And at this point, even as great as, you know, Taves and Key and Kane have been. For we understand where you were going with that. And you were pretty much wrapped <laughs> up on that last, last point that we need to talk about is we're finally seeing what, what the ardent Vancouver Canucks fan base. And I say ardent as in the, the ones that are whatever the Canucks do, uh, is great by me. There is a subsection of that with Lee Phantom, with Edmonton Phantom. A lot of a lot of teams have that. There were Canuck fans that were super pissed at us whenever we said these deals are bad. The Sutter deal, the Beagle deal, the Roussel deal, the Berchi deal. There were tons of deals that Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks made, especially on July 1st, that have served to unfortunately negate some of the amazing stuff they've done in the drafting. Uh, they've built a really good team there, but they just lost their starting goaltender. We do think Thatcher Demko could be that starter, but we don't know enough yet. So he's had to go out and spend $4 million a season on Braden Holtby, who has been good. 
but hasn't looked the same since he won the Stanley Cup. Um, are, we're finally seeing Vancouver's mistakes on July 1st come to roost. Where do they take it from here? Because obviously um, they've got, you know, some money coming off the deal. I believe it's Berchi, Pearson, and someone else comes off next year. But you've also got Pedersen and Quinn Hughes who are going to command more than the money that is coming off the books next year. They have seven million, seven and a half million dollars in cap space this year. Apparently they're still players for Oliver Ekman Larson, because by the way, Chris, give us your thoughts on the OEL thing. Everybody thinks that door is closed. Not necessarily true. Well, I'm just thinking of it from Oliver Ekman Larson's point. Like I get why him and his agent, Kevin Epp wanted to control the story, why they didn't want this to last for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's, it's a disruption to your life. It's unpleasant, but if, if Jim Benning phones him on Tuesday morning and says, we have a deal with Vancouver if you'll waive your no-move clause, like, are you telling me he wouldn't? I, I have trouble – I just have trouble believing that to be the case. So, you know, it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of talks there in the last couple of days, but I, I just don't think we can pronounce it completely dead. Like, this might be like, okay, everyone take a breath and then see what happens in free agency, and obviously that's playing out now, and then take another run at this. So – I would think that that's at least a still lingering as an outside possibility. You know, the, the truth is I don't see how Vancouver's any better next season than what they just were. And you're right. They, they, there's a huge opportunity cost here. They couldn't get in on this free agent market because they had no money to spend. And they had no money to spend because they overcommitted on bottom six players or defensemen that are beyond their prime. And, you know, those contracts have unquestionably played a huge role in what's happened here. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of stunned honestly, that they lost Troy Stetcher for what he signed in Detroit, <clears throat> that they couldn't well, make that work. Yeah, Local guy, care. great story, you know, homegrown product in their, in their team. Um, you know, at least they're smart enough to recognize that everything starts at 2021, 22. You know, that's when, that's when Pedersen and Hughes are getting paid what they're going to be paid. And, and so I think that they've been really careful not to commit money in this year's free agency to, to, to anything that might disrupt what happens then. But it's sort of left next year as this middle year just lurking there. And, and I would expect you'll see them maybe sign a free agent or two to a one-year deal because they, they do have some money maybe to play with with that. But you know, they also got RFAs to take care of. They signed Holpe. I mean, they're just – they're in a bad spot. And they were put there by their decision-making. And so where I feel sort of bad for Jim Benning in a sense is this is the one year you just can't trade money away. Like the, the Tampa Bay Lightning couldn't give Tyler Johnson away to the league right now. That's crazy. And like Vegas is having trouble evidently trading players. Like they're, they're going to trade good players at some point, but it's not an easy trade to make. It should be easy, but no team has money. You know, someone who works for teams only right now, I think it's 90.5% of all the cap allocation for next year is already accounted for. There's Ooh. still like, there's still like a hundred open roster spots league wide where teams have to sign players, but they don't have money to sign them. And then obviously within that structure, you're trying to move money around, but it's just hard to dump money in a trade right now. And so I'm a little surprised Vancouver didn't use the buyout window, to be honest, on, on one or two of these guys. I know that's not pleasant and it's not ideal, but um, they're just in such a cap bind of their own doing that, you know, that, that might have been the way to go. But I, I, anyway, I think they're going to be worse on paper entering next season than they were last year. There's just no way around it. But they got superstars, and once those contracts come off the books, they've got an opportunity to, to improve their team. Maybe I'm crazy, but yes. – and, and this is for all of you. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, that's possible. Uh, the question that I had when I saw the way that they were building this team is that they felt when they were building it that, you know, with those contracts that I mentioned before, they thought, well, by the time we're good, 
we can just attach a draft pick to this and shuttle it off to Arizona or whoever else takes these dead deals. And, um, you know, at, at what point, I know Vancouver Canucks fans are pissed because they've just come off a great feel-good run. They lose their top right-handed defenseman. They lose their top goalie. And I think they lose their second right-handed defenseman for nothing, for basically nothing. Um, and they didn't need to lose that. Does Jim Benning pay a price with the Aquilinis for this? Because obviously I know that they're close and I know that, uh, you know, that they, they tend to work well together. That's what we've heard. And again, there have been some major successes with the way Jim Benning has built this team. But as you said, this is a key year for them to take a step forward. And they're probably not going to, unless Pedersen, which he can, he has the talent to do really likes the league on fire next season. Uh, what does this do to Jim Benning's reputation? And I'm not saying he's on the, the hot seat at all um, with, with losing his job, but is this very damaging to him? It could be long-term. He's certainly not on the hot seat now. I mean, they're still basking in the glow of what was a great playoff run. And yeah. they still have two superstar young players and they didn't have to finish last. They didn't have to get draft them first overall to get them. And those guys are going to get better. And so, I think there's still a lot of faith in the job he's done, but over time, if this proves to be the start of a downward spiral, you know, that could be the case. I mean, he's under a lot of pressure. He's under a lot of heat. I mean, it's one thing to have a team that can win a, you know, the playing round and and then first round of playoffs and get all the way to game seven, um, you know, with a chance to go to the conference final, but it's another to like, how do you augment that group? How do you make it better? I mean, they have to be raising the bar and they just, they're not really in a position to do it just because of where they are, you know, vis-a-vis the cap. I, I also think, though, I should say that some ways they were judicious and not overpaying to, to keep a Chris Tanev and, and certainly Jacob Markstrom. I mean, Markstrom got a big deal. And Tanev, too. It can be hard emotionally to let those guys walk out the door because you love them as players and they've contributed a lot to your success. But, you know, if they gave the contracts Calgary gave to those guys in their situation, I mean, that would be its own fireable offense. So, you know, I, I just think that they they have to take some lumps right now. They have to be creative and they have to find a way to to get some flexibility. Every Chris time Jones. he freezes, it freezes differently. Right. And it's always at the end of what he's saying, oh. which is so eloquent. It's because I talk too much. Not at all. Not but at here, all. Listen. It's like the Emmys and the music's coming on. That's what these freezes are. They're like, they're not, <laughs> listen, stage. To, to maybe put a bow on what you were saying, everyone who wants a good laugh, just do a Twitter search, Jim Benning. It, oh boy. the roast has begun and it's i can imagine it's bad <laughs> well gentlemen how do you that, have time to twitter right? search jim benning steve like you got a baby <laughs> I know, right? you got a job you got a house i just i live 30 hour days man it's great <laughs> i highly recommend it oh, um it's hard, man. It's hard. chris we love having you on thank you so much for coming home uh, especially on Thanksgiving, uh, because the, your family missed you and we are your family. Um, we, uh, had an absolute blast and obviously there was a ton of business to get through. There is one quick thing I do want to mention before we go, we're not going to do a press conference today, but what we are going to do is say that Chris, you and I had a deal where you were going to come on and you were going to, um, just, we were just going to drop the episode kind of like Beyonce dropped her, her, uh, album yeah. at midnight and boom, it was just there. And I told Steve that we were going to do this. So last night, Steve naturally then tweets out that tomorrow you're going to be on the show. So I want you to, now, yeah, he did scoop you. Now what I want to do is tell you what happened because 
Steve is blaming this on red receipts. Steve, can you can you explain? Uh, red receipts are the most bullshit invention of all time. I don't know what kind of narc uh, asked for this stupid shit. Uh, I have them turned off. You will never know if I read it, and I hate uh, that I don't think you can turn it off on Facebook or anything like that. There is no such thing as an important text message. It is called a phone call. Uh, so, like, for any any app where uh, red receipts are just automatically turned on, guess what? I'm not reading your freaking text until I have time. Okay. I'm not even opening well, it. Well, on Messenger. So, Steve blames this. I said, you. I saw your red receipt. I know you saw this. He knew you were coming on, Chris. But underneath that, in the same message, here's I'm going to read the actual message. What day to did you. you send this? What day did you? I sent this? this on Sunday, and on I said Sunday. Oh shit! Was anything important happening on Sunday, Adam? So I said it on Sunday. Baptism and he knew by that. fire. Yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was after the baptism. It was after the baptism. Oh yeah, and my said, day just stopped. <laughs> Nothing happened. The Leafs didn't sign two in people and the, have a trade. In the same message, I write, okay, got Chris booked, don't announce it. That's one message. Mm. And the message continues and it's the same message. Let's just drop it like a Beyonce album at midnight. That's literally what I wrote. And Steve took, hey, Chris is going to be on the show. That's all he got. <laughs> That's I all mean, we got. Adam, Adam, is, you messaged me in the middle of an extraordinarily busy day. And I missed it. And I mean, you must have been really busy Friday because uh, <laughs> I sent you uh, after you told me, since things that we tell each other don't matter, uh, you told me you were going to come by for a driveway wave at Leo. And then on mm -hmm. Friday, I texted you, hey, man, you still coming? To which you responded, mm -hmm. you didn't respond. You have yet to respond. <laughs> oh, you haven't no. sent a text since. Wow. So let's not play this game. You guys have some things tired out here. <laughs> Steve, you as long as we're pulling out receipts, we might as well pull out all of them. Steve, you also <laughs> responded to a message after the CJ message. What was it? Like what an hour say? later, you laughed at an image that Adam sent. <laughs> what did I type? The... LOL? You said LMAO. What the fuck? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, that's nothing. You were that's reading nothing. you were reading and responding to the messages, so you don't really have an excuse here. If all anyone ever sends is LOL, they no, who has ever LOL'd? Who has ever well, I thought you LOL that my I thought when I sent you stuff and you thought it was funny, I thought you actually LOL. I don't remember not. what your but stuff you, is. No, you kept I don't going. remember it. It's already evaporated from my memory, Adam. Do you know what's funny? Nothing to me. It what's that, Chris? There's me. like some old older people that work in the NHL, like running teams that like LOL and stuff. And I always find that hilarious. <laughs> Lamorello. Like yeah. if Gary Bettman like gives you an LOL, like it's pretty funny. That's, That's good. an LOL funny. from Gary Bettman. I think that happened. I, I can't. It's in my memories, yes, but I can't say 100%. It's not fresh, mm. but. I'd love to know if Gary Bettman sends LMAOs. LMAF. I doubt whatever. it. <laughs> that's no, that's for 2021. Not. He's got to, you know. <laughs> Add it to his repertoire. Gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up. Chris Johnson, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it's so great to get your perspective and your knowledge. And uh, you're just a great guy all the, all the, all the way. And shout out, Coburg. Shout out Coburg and uh, honestly, shout out your audience. Like literally I'm getting to the point where I don't really love social media. Like it's hot garbage half the time, but like oh, no great. nothing fills my mentions with like greater joy than when I'm coming on your show or do your show. And I know everyone gets pumped about it. So it makes me want to keep doing it. So is thanks. it all the nudes they send? 
No, it's just like funny memes and I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, I feel like I'm part of the club a little bit. You know what I mean? So it's, it's cool to. You to are, have. you're a part of the show. Of course. Love you, pal. Yeah. yeah love, love you guys everybody. too. Be well, everyone be safe. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. We'll be back Wednesday with another episode of the SDP. Thank you so much. And obviously get your questions into Jesse for then we'll try to get them all answered in anything that we missed this episode. Don't worry. We're doing another one for 48 hours. We'll get to it. I promise. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Connection complete.